Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Hello, how are you guys doing tonight? Welcome to another episode of Pizza Punk. Uh, I guess this you would call this live pizza, actually. It's live pizza. We're serving you live pie right on the air. What is the air? It's the YouTube channel. Um, you know, it's kind of jonesing to go live. We did go live on Tuesday. We had a fantastic show with uh, Mr. Jim, uh, the Static Age drummer of the Misfits. If you are a Misfits fan, if you like pouring over nerdy Misfits band minutia, go check out that episode. It might be in my top five favorite episodes since we started broadcasting in March of 2020. I really, really like that episode. Go check that out. Um, but I, you know, normally on Pizza Punk, we have musicians, but we also have had some filmmakers. We had uh, James, who directed uh, SLC Punk. Um, we had, who else did we have that was a filmmaker? We've had a couple filmmakers on. Um, and tonight, I am really, really excited to bring you owner Takal on the show. Um, he is, he, he's kind of like, I don't even know how to describe this guy. He's like this, he's like this completely different kind of animal that is a filmmaker. I first became aware of him with his, he made a film, a vampire film uh, called Summer of Blood which I saw, I forget, maybe it was on Netflix or it was on, it was streaming somewhere. And I watched that and that's what put me on his radar. And then I started to realize that um, I guess I had seen, he made this film or he co-wrote this film called, I don't even know how you pronounce this, Septian, 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 something like that, um, which I bought at a blockbuster uh, in 2013, sight unseen. Last time I was ever in a blockbuster video, they were, they were liquidating. And I was like, this cover is crazy. I need to check this out. And uh, yeah, this dude, he just he just churns out movies, man. Like I blink my eyes and like every second he has a new film out. Like I'm like, wait, but didn't he just make another movie? Didn't he just I'm like, what is his secret sauce? Um, and, you know, I listened to I've, I've listened to him uh, a little bit in interview and just really sort of been blown away by his process. And I like, it's definitely something that I want to learn more about. So I reached out, I invited him to come on the show. Um, he is uh, very generously and graciously giving us some of his time. And uh, hopefully we'll learn, learn a couple of two, three things about how to make movies and, um, you know, get out there and, and, and do your thing. Um, and he doesn't know this yet. He can actually hear me right now because he's, he's in the digital green room backstage. But um, we're going to I, I want to set the precedent right off the bat. I'm going to ask him uh, our pizza question. So we're going to we're going we're gonna to start off with that or at least get that percolating in his head. I should have told him before the show. And now I'm just surprising him with homework that he wasn't intending. He wasn't intending homework on the show. But now there's homework. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. But let's 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 bring him out. Bring him out. Hey, hey, come on. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Hey, get out of there. Get out of there. He, he likes, you know, we have a lot of a large spread in the digital green room. Hey, whoa. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? I, I'm I'm I am fantastic. And I am so glad that you could join me on my show. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Truly. No, it's, it's my honor, man. This is it's I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking me to come on the show. Oh, yeah. 
To- totally, totally. Um, so I, you know, you can I ask you me- something real quickly? Do you? Do yeah, you yeah go ahead. Because you've got such a great voice, you just hearing your intro, just, just such a presence. Do you normally do before COVID? Were you doing your podcast in person with people in the same room, or was it always like this? Always was it always a web podcast? Or so I, you know, I had a YouTube channel. It was fledgling. It used to be monetized. And then it got demonetized in the great adpocalypse of 2018, uh, which I won't go into, but it was because of this idiot who who filmed something in a Japanese uh, forest with that begins with an S, if you know what I mean. Can't say that word on YouTube because they um, they will sort of bury you. But if you know what I'm talking about, that kind of forest, that that kind of haunted forest, you know what I'm saying? You know, no, no, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, it's a forest where people go to um, end things. That kind of thing. Oh, oh, oh that kind of force. Yeah. Well, in any case, it, it it changed the whole the whole landscape, and I was became very disinterested in YouTube. And then I told you what happened March eighth, twenty twenty, off 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 mm-hmm. air. And right after that, on March twentieth, I started just going live on YouTube, which I had never done in my life. Yeah. I started doing it, and people started watching. Very small, very small, small little audience. Tiny little, you know, um, and slowly over the last two years, I have become a voracious podcaster because I never shut the fuck up. Like I literally yeah. never stop fucking talking. And I found that I just love, you know, I talk about anything that I find interesting, which of course makes you less successful on YouTube because YouTube wants you to do the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm like, no, this is a channel. My last name is from us. I'm going to talk about from us things. And even if it hurts me, I'll just, Cause this is what, this is what makes me show up every day. And, you know, last year I was uploading almost every single day I was doing this. I'm, I guess I'm in the, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, the outlier principle, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm in my 10,000 hours right now with this. Oh, and that's I, great. You're an expert. Yeah, I just love doing it, man. I love that's freaking great. doing it. Uh, yeah, and this mic, this mic is actually what I use to do location sound recording because, um, you know, when you're making micro budget films, you have to wear a lot of hats. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you shoot, you do your own sound, you do your own thing. And I just fashioned it into, uh, I got a premix three right up here, sound device, really nice sound recorder uh, with some uh, cashmere uh, preamps. And uh, yeah, it's just sounding really, uh, really velvety and creamy. And uh, yeah, I yeah, just make it work, you know? So. And, and you, and music is your main focus. That's your main love. That's who you interview on the show. Musicians mostly. I interview musicians mostly, but you know what it is. I'm a filmmaker. First and foremost, I can, I identify and concern myself a filmmaker. I've slowly de- uh, cha- turned into a sort of a YouTuber podcaster guy. Um, but I don't follow sports at all. Sports is like a language. I don't understand. Music is my sports. Yeah. My pitchers, my, my football receivers are guitar players and i don't yeah. i'm not an, i'm not a musician at all but i have you know i can talk music i love musicians i've toured i toured with a punk band we went from moscow to california all back and forth yeah we did all the whole thing um and what were you doing? Uh, so wait, road manager state like road I, like groupie? You know, i was what a video were... videographer that oh, okay. was doing a, a documentary that ne- never ended up coming out um shot like uh four terabytes of footage that is just <laughs> rotten away on hard drives um, because of you know, because of copyright issues or something like uh, that, it just, or just... Uh, it just did not materialize. It uh, the whole thing did not materialize. There were uh, um, uh, things did not work out with the producer, the the co producer, I should say, with the project, and uh, it just ended up uh, really going 
nowhere, but it, you know, I have always had a foot. And the other thing I've been working on slowly is a, this is, you're interviewing me. I'm supposed to be interviewing you. Oh, so um, I mean, I, I'm just, no, it's okay. I, it's right. okay. I, don't, I, just, I don't want to bore the people that know all about you, who already know about your background and stuff like that. I just find it fascinating and interesting. And no, no, no. Uh, I, I will tell you this though. What, what got me started with all of this stuff was I started, I, I'm a big fan of the band, the Misfits. Misfits, you know, Star Wars nerds, right? Like people that are obsessed with Star Wars. Well, in punk rock, I would say that Misfits fans are the Star Wars nerds of the music world. Like we obsess over, oh, what, you know, what 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 dial did he have turned up on his amp in 1978 when he was playing Max's Kansas City? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> you know what cool. I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that's what we that's really the 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 bread and butter of the of the show and what we just dive into minutiae. We warn people, we say, look, we're talking about minutiae. If you like minutiae, if you like semantics, you're gonna love this these pedantic discussions about just the tiniest details. And it's just sort of expanded from there. But I was making a documentary about them. I was just interviewing anybody who would talk to me about this band that literally does not want documentaries made about them. Another reason why it's taken so long to sort of get this project in the can. So I have like a hundred hours of interviews and um, I've interviewed so many, you know, uh, we just had actually, as I was saying before, before he came on, we had the static age drummer on last night, uh, uh, old friend, actually the first interview I had done. Um, and yeah, so I, I do have a background in interviewing and then doing the YouTube thing. And now I've started making I've started making too much money to stop, but not enough money to not like be looking for Definitely. a day job. Yeah, so it's yeah, the sure. terrible, terrible place to be in where you're like, I can't stop and I don't want to stop because I like who I am when I do this. Just the way, you know, when when you're making a film, I'm sure you love when you're in your element making a movie, right? Like there's nothing better in life. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, I'm going to turn the, I want to turn the conversation around you and I'm sure there's going to be over talking over each other as these podcast things go and the latency issues with the connector. So if that happens, my apologies. Um, I want you to think about this question while I ask you the next question. This is the, the thesis question for the whole show. Um, the idea for pizza punk originally, yes, was to interview was to order a pizza and then, you know, meet musicians backstage and eat a whole pizza with them and then talk about stuff. That's what Pizza Punk was. But then COVID happened. So I was like, oh, we'll, we'll just do it online. The question is, yeah. is pizza punk? And if pizza is punk, why is pizza punk? And if pizza is not punk, why is pizza not punk? It is a subjective question. There is no wrong answer. Let it marinate for a minute. And I'm going to ask you this question. I've looked on your IMDb. And I seen, you know, I was familiar with some of your films, uh, some of your films I was not familiar with. I'm, I'm familiar with more of the new ones because we're I'm, I'm connected to you on Facebook and I see you post every once in a while. And it's like it seems like I blink my eyes and you have a new film out every yeah. two seconds. And I'm like insanely like I'm super stoked for you, but I'm also super like jealous and like blown away and like in the uh, jealous in a good way. Like just like, wow, how does he do it? It's incredible. Like how he just does this stuff. But you have a you have there's some spottiness early on from 1997. And that's assuming that everything is listed here on, on IMDb from 1997 to 2007. Um, there is, you know, not as much stuff. And then it seems right around Richard's wedding in 2012, you just like a train, chugga, 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 choo, choo, full steam ahead. I'm um, slinging movies. What, what, how did that happen? What's going on there? How did that happen? Yada, yada, yada. 
So I was making a, uh, a lot of films in North Carolina before I moved to New York. Yeah, I moved to New York in 2000, uh, uh, 2010, Halloween of 2010. Uh, the decade before, I was living in Wilmington, North Carolina, making independent films and shooting mainly on 16-millimeter film and 35-millimeter film. And I made uh, uh, three movies in the span of six years. It took me about two years to make a film. Um, when I was 24, I made a movie. 26, I made a movie. ended up selling that movie drawing blood Sergio Lapel's drawing blood to trauma i'm sure you've heard of trauma you must oh i know oh oh fun. my formative years it, it, my formative years okay. yes of course <laughs> did you ever work at it well that's a, it's a, another question so uh so trauma i sold my my uh, second movie to trauma Sergio Lapel's drawing blood made my third movie on 35 millimeter ding a lingless and then i ended up making a fourth movie called the pigs which was a really really bad experience i had an awful time making it i lost my nerve and i lost my confidence and I just spent a decade not making movies because I didn't have, I didn't have the confidence. I mean, you know, I, well, I made it between uh, 90, 2000, 2010. I made one movie, but it did not go well. And I just, I just lost, uh, I lost confidence in myself. You know what I mean? A lot of, I mean, I'm an insecure, I'm like most artists. I'm pretty insecure about what I'm doing, but I've, I've learned to embrace, I've learned to embrace the things I, I Embrace my whatever my style of filmmaking and have confidence in my style of filmmaking. I, but I'm all still always insecure. But but I but I but I, I I do love my work. But I it was just a bad experience. If you're going to make a movie, it has to be a good experience. And it was kind of a traumatic experience for me. It was a three week it was probably the worst three weeks of my life. I mean you know it's relative. I mean there's people experience if you have death or sickness that's a horrible thing. Me going through a bad experience of being on a film set. For three weeks is nothing. It's white. It's a privilege problem. Do you know what I mean? It's not a big deal at all. It was all my fault because I was an asshole, and I've <laughs> still been an asshole in movies before. But uh, but I, I lost my confidence. Long story short, when I moved to New York in 2010, I was in a pretty dark period of my life. And uh, the summer before I moved here, I worked on that Septian movie, which I'm so happy, excited that you bought a DVD of in a blockbuster. That makes me so happy that oh, you're. Not- uh, nine years ago, I saw this cover and I was like, I'm just going to buy this because this looks crazy. And I watched yeah. the film. I'll be honest. I don't remember much about what I had yeah. seen. It was like uh, a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it, it it was it was it was nutty, man. You used to be able to find some cool stuff. in Blockbuster. Yeah, I, I think that's a fucking brilliant movie. I wish I'd made it. I didn't. I, mean, I co-wrote the story. You wrote, with, you wrote with, some stuff, right? I, I co-wrote the yeah. story with Robert Longstreet and the director, Michael Tully. And Michael Tully took our kind of emails that we all had together. And he, and he, and he wrote this beautiful script and made this amazing film on 16 millimeter. Uh, a bit of minutiae about that movie. Uh, the DP of that movie is a director named Jeremy Saunier, who's gone off to make oh a, a bunch God. of Oh my God. He, really, he really, shot that? He shot that movie. And That's then Michael nuts. Tully, and then Michael Tully's had a very good independent film uh making career Jer- jeremy what? fucking blew the fuck up you know oh jeremy blew the fuck up wait yeah. this was before he made uh blue uh blue blue rolling yeah he had made yeah. a movie a few years before called murder party which i've yep, never I've seen, seen it. I think, i've which, seen it i think it's yeah. a very much and i think blue ruin was a very low budget movie too but that very low up. budget very creative very and uh murder party is a very creative film yeah, I'm sure it is. He's yeah. he's he's got a great he's got a great sense of humor and a great you know he loves violence and he's just a, you know a, a brilliant filmmaker. But yep. then Jeremy, that movie Blue Ruin went off to Cannes and I think it played oh, Sunday next year. I mean, like in it in it, you know, it started he his caught the wave. He caught the uh, that indie the indie darling wave when something you know it's it really that mentality that goes back to the '90s, right? It's like uh, the Kevin Smith Robert Rodriguez sort of like uh, yeah. it's really one of the last films to do that too. 
Blue Ruin is one of the last films, genre films, to do that because in you know that that's what all filmmakers, all filmmakers in the aughts going to film school and stuff were sort of their their aspirations. The ones that were not wanting to work in like the Hollywood system, their aspirations were based on the mythology, these legends of what happened in the '90s with filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino, Kevin yeah. Smith, Robert Rodriguez. The 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 lottery ticket sort of situation where you send off your film to the and it gets discovered at the film festival, it gets sold for six figures, seven figures, whatever. And that's what jumpstarts your career. And then every filmmaker in the next decade was like, that's what I'm going to do. I got the Panasonic. Remember the Panasonic HV X yeah. something 24, it's 24 frame, uh, 24P. It was a progressive scan. It was like, it's got a filmic look. I'm going to sure, go out, yeah, yeah. make my micro budget film. It's going to do yeah. great. That's a great camera still, you know, that, that was is, late yeah. 90s. Really. For sure. Well, I, I, sure. I, I got to tell you, so so I got to tell you, I, I'm beholden to all those dudes you mentioned in the 90s and including. Me, me too, Whit, me Whit too. Stillman, uh, well, you mentioned Kevin Smith, uh, Richard Linklater, Neil LeBute, yeah. all those Richard, guys. Were yes, making yes, it, yes. They were making their early movies on 16 millimeter for very low budget. You know, Slacker was made for $25,000. Clerks yep. was made for $35,000. Um, $27,500. Is that what Clerks was made for? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're the company in, in the company of men, I think was made for 30, $40,000. Neil Butte's first movie. And, um, and what's I, that guy's name? McCool. One night at McCool's, uh, McLean's McCool's. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, Ed, Burns. Ed Burns. Grand. Of course. Yeah, uh-huh. Ed Burns. And you know what else too? There's a fetish. There's a fetish and I'll, I, I will be the first one to admit I had this fetish too, because, and the reason why I had the fetish is because I, I was obsessed over this, this notion because this, I realized this is the only way I was going to make a movie. And it's the notion of, um, people equate low budget or the lower your budget. And if you're able to pull off a feature at a low budget, that that makes you automatically good or that automatically means something. Cause there's like the feature club. If you can make a feature film, it's like it, it validates you or it sort of um, not. Yeah. It venerates and validates you in a way like every, you know, a lot of people can successfully make a short film. It is a whole nother animal to make a feature length film. And I think every filmmaker, and I'm speaking very generally about a lot of people and I really don't honestly know, but like I'd imagine like a lot of filmmakers that you ask yourself this question. I ask myself the question, do I have what is in, do I have it inside of me to be able to get to a feature length film? And the notion of being able to do it, seeing that like Robert Rodriguez made a film for $7,000 and going and reading his journal, that amazing rebel without a crew that we all yeah, read, yeah, read that and, and just going, do I have what it takes? Do I have the juice? And it becomes this obsession over, over micro, like this micro budget obsession of like micro budget um, means that, or automatically it's good if it's a feature and it's micro budget, because I was able to accomplish this thing, you know? Um, uh-huh. But you are, you know, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. And you are doing it too. You're doing it on film and the other thing too is people always say about you know robert rodriguez he did it for 7k yes he did it for 7k but then it got picked up and they put two million dollars into what everybody saw nobody saw that the seven thousand dollar version of that film which was yeah of course of course so that's that's the case in a lot of movies that get picked up at sundance or something is they put more money into it to give it a big soundtrack or a proper color correction sound mix Yep. Um, I, I tell you, though, I, making movies on film, I wish I could go back to making movies on film. It's just a little – it's not about the money so much these days. It's more about the stress. I don't know if I would have the mental fortitude to – of the stress of shooting something for a day or two days, sending it off to the lab, waiting to see the lab report to find out if everything came out in focus. Oy. I don't know if I have the mental – 
uh, stay, you know, be, I'd be able to deal with the stress. I don't know if I could do with that. I'd, I'd want to be able to know that the footage is okay, downloaded, backed up on two or three drives. Pretty. Right. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to go back and make something on film at some point. Um, I will say, I stopped making films too because I was, you know, I was in North Carolina. I only had a pocket. I had a few investors who put money into my films, and then when those movies didn't make money. There was really nowhere to go to get to to, to find to, to get more movies made. You need so a track really, record. I, you need a yeah, track record. Yeah, and, and you know, I, and, and you know, at that time, I, I didn't. I wasn't putting. I put my own money into my first movie. I put about five thousand my own money in my first movie. I eventually would put a little bit of money into my vampire film. But I, when I moved to New York, and after we did Septian, um, I. I these Canon 7D cameras came out. I don't know if you're the 7D. Oh, yes. I shot my film was shot on the 70D, which was a later re- descendant of that very model. So, yes. The, the, what was it called? It was a 60D? Or? It was the, no, it was the Canon 70D. 70D, which, yeah. Which was, um, and what we, and we, you know, what we did too, we shot, we shot with a, uh, we shot on a 30 the whole time we were shooting with a 30 millimeter wide lens, a Sigma, but oh. because it's a crop censored camera, it was more like a, a 50, you know, yeah. it was like your stand, your fit, your nifty 50 because of that, 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 uh, that crop factor. And that's essentially, and we shot it completely in camera monochrome, even though it was digital, which was the dumbest thing ever, but I'm not a cinematographer. I don't know anything about lighting or color temperature and so I figure, you know, you figure, oh, well, if everything's in black and white, that's a lot easier to control than if it, everything is in color. Because it's like, for some reason, it was like, you know, you get locked in. I'm like, is this shot going to match this shot? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have I don't have like a professional gaffer here to help me to figure this stuff out. I'm out I don't have a yeah, color yeah. card. You know, it's like uh, all this stuff gets. So you just figure out a way to make it work for whatever you're doing. And yes, that those DSLRs just revolutionized everything changed the game they did and not only that it allowed me to shoot with two cameras which i'd never done before and i'd always wanted to shoot with two cameras i'd shot two cameras a little bit on a, on the movie the pigs that kind of ended my film career for a decade but then um and i was like i didn't really know how to shoot with two cameras and then i got to new york i always wanted to make movies in new york and i thought let's make something on the streets of new york with two cameras and so you know i was able to get um an investor to put in 5k i put in 5k of my own money on richard's mm-hmm. wedding and we shot, we paid our two camera guys, we paid a sound person and I paid a producer and we, you know, we shot for $10,000 in seven days on the streets wow. of New York. And, and I would say at that point, I felt like. That's I'd good production start- value. I, well, I kickstarted, uh, I don't know, the, this desire to make films again. I was kind of, I kind of lost it. I lost the passion and I got, I got, I got the passion back. And New York has always been very inspiring to me. So the last decade to be here making films, I just felt very lucky. But it was the 7D, just the aesthetics of the 7D and how fucking mobile they were. They were fucking, they look like regular still photography cameras. They, they, it is a still they photography are. camera. Yeah, they exactly. They are, yeah. So um, to be able to run around New York with those uh, has, it, it, you know, it was it, it opened up a whole new world of possibilities. And no one's batting an eye. No one is batting an eye. They see, especially at that time, they're going, oh, that's just a still camera and then like you know escape from tomorrow came out they shot that in disneyland with the 5d yeah you know like they snuck off they snuck in it's like you see these dslrs no one's looking at you making richard's wedding and going hey they're shooting a feature-length film do they have a permit not that people they don't really care too much about permits if you're a small fry the boom pole it's always the boom pole that'll get you into trouble really uh 
I, it's this, yeah, this movie I just shot. We we uh, it was my first dolly shot on the streets of New York. I was so oh man to do that. I've never done a dolly on the streets before, so it was very very cool. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, let me ask you something. You said you have a movie right now playing at genre fest, genre fest at Alamo Draft House in Virginia. Yes. What's yes, the name of called- that movie? Yeah, that's that's Romeo's Distress. That's the that's the feature length film that I was talking about. We shot in black and white and we also shot that in New York. We hopped on the Metro North with the Canon 70D. I I just stole every shot I could. I was like, all right, now let's do a walk through Grand Central Station. And at that point in time, I was like, oh, we got we got to do everything in shallow depth of focus because we don't want to get anybody's face in because we're not having signing like as if it friggin mattered. But, you know, you're, yeah. you, when you're making your when you're making your first feature, you think about these things like it's super it's like super important. So we did this really long one or like one shot tracking shot. And I was like, you know, there are cops standing everywhere. And I'm like, I wonder if they're going to say anything. I didn't I purposely didn't bring the boom. I figured yeah. we'll do everything and uh, all we'll, we'll fill in all the sound and post and stuff. Are, yeah. yeah. And just, well, there's no dialogue. It's just okay. a lot of, you know, just a lot of background sound design. I, that's what I went to school. I went to school for post-production sound design because oh, nice. I wanted to be a filmmaker, but I realized I was like, I got to know as many of these other jobs as possible because even if I, someone can do the job better than me, I want to be able to have a conversation with every single person you know, that does that job better than me and at least be able to talk to them no, and tell them what smart. I want. Yeah, yeah, that's you know? smart. Yeah, of course. So, so I did that and, you know, I learned how to like mix and, and do sound design and stuff. And um, and I was like, Pro well, Tools, did you learn Pro Tools and all that I stuff? I did. I learned Pro Tools and OMFs and stuff. And you know what happened? Uh, I did not stick with the Pro Tools because my my the computer behind me, which was my old iMac, it just couldn't handle it. It would shift the bed always. And the the the, the workflow we had, because we were editing in Final Cut 7, I did have I we did shoot on Bolexes and we did we had we had moviolas. And when oh, we first yeah. got into production, course, yeah. I had the brass plate with the with the razor blade and we were oh, shooting yeah. on black and white reversal. And we man, we are we're kind of, but you know this is what was so crazy. It was also at a time, you know, there, there's mini DV cameras. So what we do is we would shoot our rushes on the wall. I would then bring it into iMovie. I would oh, edit. Wow. The, the, I would edit the rushes exactly to how I wanted the film. And then so with my laptop over here and a movieola technology from that are literally from the silent era, 1920s, yeah. like in home screen, like the little. The no, little no, movie-ola. I edited I edited my, uh, my first uh, Super 8 short film. My, oh, it was so you know all film. about it. Fan film, uh, Michael Myers meets his match. It was a Halloween fan film. I we shot Super Eight, and I edited, it, sliced it together with tape and stuff. I've got, yeah, I've got yeah, yeah. somewhere in North Carolina. I, I don't it's know, very tiny meditative, little, tiny right? little thing. What's that? It's very meditative. Like you go into the dark room, and like literally hours pass. Like time just 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 falls away, and it's just you and your craft, and you're making these cuts, and there's nothing more fulfilling than lining up the sprocket holes with your sprocket uh-huh. tape and getting everything nice and flush. And, um, yeah, we would – we but, you know, I had the laptop right there, so I could, it was a little kind of cheating, I guess. But, like, I, it was just a way to be very accurate with the shots, yeah, you know? When so, you do, did, why would you do – why would you shoot – is that how – why were you shooting against the – Oh, I understand. You wanted to get a, 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 a you wanted to see all the footage quickly. That's yes. why you telecined it yourself, right? You I to- tell I we literally telecined it ourselves. And but the yeah. problem here's the problem: you're shooting. Uh, I think bolexes are 16 frames per second or 18 frames per second, something like that. So what you're doing, and I don't know what the shutter speed is, but then you have mini DV tape at 29.97 frames. Mm-hmm. 
per second. Uh, so you get this weird sort of swelling, glowing effect. Like something has to, it's some sort of shutter thing that goes above my head that I technically don't understand. And it's, so it gives the footage this weird, almost organic swelling sort of, it's like the swelling of light and it's beautiful. Um, and uh, it was a great way to sort of view our rushes quickly, cut the film together digitally, see what it's going to look like. And then you would do the, 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 you basically, what you're doing is you're doing a digital EDL and then you are conforming yourself, but digitally with a, with a, (laughs) with a non-linear editing system. And, um, you know, what's funny too is even before we would, we, you know, they would give us one cartridge. You get one cartridge of a, what is it, 300 feet is, no, 100 feet is three, two and a half yes, minutes. Yeah, right, right. right. Mm-hmm. So we would get, they give us our one cartridge, or sometimes we get two and they'd be like, there it is. And so I would go, I would take all my actors and I would, we would do the whole thing on DV. I'd shoot the whole movie on DV and edit like, a, like before we even shot the film because I wanted to see and I'd, I'd try to uh, do the, the math and be like, okay, that shot has to be, uh, that's seven seconds and seven seconds is, you know, 24 for, or, or whatever, 18 frames times seven seconds, blah, blah, blah. Trying to do the math, trying to figure out how I can watch the foot monitor because when you're, when you have a Bolex, for those of people who did not have the, the, the privilege and honor of getting to shoot on a Bolex, uh, you still can. It's just really hard to do these days. The um, you're you're looking at feet. There's nothing that's. There's no minute. There's no counter that's yeah, going. Right, oh, you've shot seven minutes. You have, you have to look at the feet and go. Oh, I only have this many feet left, and this many feet is this much time. And mm-hmm. you know that's that's that creates a, a very, you know, there there's sort of these parallels to creativity. And what I mean when I say that is, and and this goes back to the idea. And I want to ask you this question, and maybe if it informs your work. Um, how it informed your work. This idea of if you're shooting on film and you have a finite amount of, of film stock, how that informs all of the create creative decisions that you are making in a scene. And, you know, films are, I guess films are really made, uh, you could say a film is written four times, right? The screenplay, the uh, during production, because Murphy's Law happens, you got to rewrite the film on the fly. In some way, shape, or form, I'm sure in, in all of your filmographies, as you, how how many times have you gotten your script exactly as it was on the page through the edit? Has that ever happened to you? Like 100%? Um, you know, yeah. Ding a Linglets. We shot a movie on 35 millimeter. And because yeah. was, we were spending so much money on film and we were shooting on short there you ends. There you go. You know, short you know, ends. Yes. I know you short ends. You have 1,000 yes. feet reels we, we didn't have. And you have 400 feet reels. We were shooting on reels that were or, or rolls of film that were 200 feet, 150 feet. You know, you're talking about <laughs> – you're talking about 11 minutes. Uh, I don't know how much is 400 feet of 16 millimeter is 11 minutes. I can't remember how much. A thousand feet. I thought a thousand feet is 15 minutes. No. For 35. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. For, okay. For 16. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Remember, gotcha. It was gotcha. 400 feet was 11 minutes, and we shot okay. 35. And I can't remember what the actual ratio is, but I know that we when we would shoot 200 feet, it, it would be gone just like that. And I have dialogue, oh. long dialogue takes. So we had to be very precise about the shots we wanted. There wasn't a lot of room for coverage and shooting right. things that were expendable. Like pretty much everything we shot ended up on film. It was a 90, 85 minute, 83 minute movie. We shot about five hours of footage. That is nothing. A one to five ratio is nothing. Yeah, Not yeah, yeah. very small age. ratio. Very small age, ratio. You're shooting when you're shooting a 10, 15 to one ratio. Easy. Um, so, uh, 
with, with Ding and Lingless, I we were uh, it was nerve wracking and it was exciting and it was thrilling because we were shooting on thirty five millimeter, which is what the studio shot on. Right. But right. Uh, I would never do that again. And it's just also it was just putting so much stress on the crew and all on the loader, the camera loader. But the question was, what was the question specifically the like? Qu- the question specifically, and I'd love for you to contrast this with shooting digital. How are creative decisions? Well, I, I went off on a ta- just, on a long you know, tangent. Just, but- I was just very, was very I'm way more uh, prepared with the visuals. I, you know, I, I'm way more specific about what I want to shoot, and I and, and I don't get, you know, if I'm gonna have two people talking at a table for a minute, uh, if I'm shooting 35 millimeter film. I'm probably not going to do standard coverage. I'm going to try to cover it in a oneer, so that right. you know, if I, if you, so, I can, so if I do a five to one ratio, I'm shooting it five times as opposed to fifteen times. Right. Close up of one character, close up on the other character. So I probably just way more economical. Did you ever see Stranger Than Paradise, Jim German? Of course, of course. That? Everything. I okay. This is what's amazing. I'm so glad that you brought up that movie. Um, by the way, real super quick, I didn't get to finish the question, kind of, but the, I get, you got the gist. It's it, it's the idea of how is your creativity informed by shooting on uh, when you're shooting on film and you have limited amount, uh, limited supply. But Stranger Than Paradise, um, I was in awe when I first saw it because I was, you know, I'm, I was in awe of all of the the, the composition, and it's a, a composition that you will see in all the early John Waters films too. These guys did not have a lot of they didn't have a lot of footage. I mean, a lot of film. They didn't have a lot of uh, 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 stock. They didn't have a lot of yeah. stock to work with. And so what you see is a lot of what I call, I don't know, if maybe it's this is like the actually what it's called, but I always just call it shot economy. And the idea is that you are creating these sort of master shots. Sometimes they're moving master shots or they're, they're almost like um, – it's kind of like uh, also same thing with Werner Herzog, uh, that movie with Klaus Kinski, uh, Warziak, Warziak. It's 16 one shot. It's 16 one shot, one or scenes basically. But everything like within the frame either gets like the whole frame gets utilized in some point in the case of Herzog, where he's just moving around. He's moving around the frame and it essentially becomes like these little mini plays. Oh, and it's Str- like, what was a Strozek was you were talking about Strozek, were you? Uh, the one where he's a soldier and I just oh, can't yeah. pronounce shit. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm going to look it up I- right now. I, I go, love, go I, I love, yeah, I love uh, Stranger Than Paradise for that reason because it can only be edited basically one way, you know. Every yeah. scene is a one-off, one-er shot. There's no coverage within it, and it, 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 and it's also it's about precision. It's about beautiful blocking, beautiful composition, beautiful lighting. Yep. And then yep. when you set something up like that, you can just take your time making sure that all the performances are nuanced, and it's something elegant and poetic and beautiful about that, which I love. I always told myself. If I made a 16 millimeter movie again and one in New York, which I would love to make, it would be in the style of Stranger Than Paradise. It would be just 70 or 65, 70, 75 specific shots, a minute to a minute and a half long and everything very self-contained, you know, and I, and I, and I love that style of filmmaking. I love watching movies like that. There's also a movie called uh, A Pigeon Sent on a Branch Contemplating Its Existence. I don't know if you've seen this movie. But it's who, who just made that? I can't remember the name of the the filmmaker, but it's uh it's a Polish movie, I believe, and it's just absurdist and wonderful and weird. But the compositions are just they're each just like a painting, each is like a you know yeah. Renaissance painting in some way, and you can appreciate. 
I, I think also too it draws you in more because you're not distracted subliminally subliminally by the editing, by the cut. You know what I mean? You're actually there yes. in the room yes. with the person. And and yes. I love movies that do that. There's so many masterful filmmakers who do that beautifully. But Strange in the Paradise, I, I, I heard Galero del Toro do a QA once after the um after the a screening of The Devil's Backbone. It was a movie he made in the yeah, early, yeah, yeah. early two thousand one. 2001 no, 2001 no. or was it that was pre chronos no it was after that no, was that it was post chronos 99 yeah. i think it, it was made in 99 it well it, it, i was at the 2001 austin film festival with my movie ding a he showed it there so he may have made it in 99 or may have made it in 2000 he may have made it in 2001 but he was showing the movie and one of the things he talked about was how when we would make a film um, it was it was so specifically designed visually that you know it didn't take that long to do an edit of the film you know because you know every it, it's just you just cut you cutting everything if all the scenes are designed a certain way you just right they just put them they, in order. they fit together they slink you just, together yeah you just find the best take take four was better than take one go with take four that's the decision that you're making I know which is I the love best that. Take. It's, it's I, well, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off the editor in a lot of ways. Well, yes, but I mean? it also, but but the, here's the the flip side of that. All of a sudden, your uh, it it what it does what it eats into is production in the sense of, or at least it's either rehearsal or production. Because if you're rehearsing the crap out of it, then you're going in there and you're getting it and whatever a couple of takes. Or if you're doing it in production, that means you're finding the shot in production, which doesn't make any sense if you're shooting on film. If you're shooting digital, however. Let's say you take the same approach, but you're shooting digital. What digital affords you is that you literally, you just, you just spill, I don't know what you call it, data, spill data, spill yeah. footage, whatever. Um, you, you just, you just, you just keep rolling and you can find it organically in the moment of how you want. And I've done that. I've done that. I have a black magic uh, pocket cinema camera, the 4k, and yeah. I've totally done that. And you know, there's there's also I would say there are benefits and I know that there may be there. I know there's a lot of uh, uh, cinema people out there that like turn their nose up at the idea of um, shooting super wide and then almost composing uh, shots or 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 sort of like turning shots around to be something different in in uh, post-production because you're shooting so wide, you're shooting like a master, like what David Fincher kind of does. A lot of people call that cheating, but from a micro budget uh, standpoint, not like, not like lazy, like, Hey, let's just shoot everything flat and then just, you know, have them all do it. And then we'll just punch in. But just in the sense of like, if you are composing shots and being like, you know, we can actually start really small. Like, I love this idea. Something that I've been really getting into is zooming in, like doing one stuff, but then just slowly zooming in on really long shots so that by the time you get to the end of the shot, you are super close up on someone's face and it just creeps up on you. Like you don't even notice it's happening. I feel like maybe I saw that on Breaking Bad or some some like prestige drama show where they like are just doing really cool cinematic stuff. But I just love this idea of, um, and you really can't, you can't, I mean, of course you could do that with film if you scan the film, but it's something, that's something that really uh, digital really lends itself to at, at high resolutions, which also comes with its own setbacks as well. Yeah, if you're shooting 8K or something like that, you can't. Well, then you, you, you can get away with that a little bit with 4K. You can't really. If you're doing it 1920 by 1080, yeah. I, you know my movie, The Pigs, that I made in the early aughts, that was, yeah. was not a good movie. Um, it was it was so badly shot, and I'm not blaming the, the DP again. It was my fault. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't really have the education on lenses and cameras to know what the hell I wanted, and I and so I wasn't monitoring what we were shooting. We were shooting it was not looking good. So in post production, just to make it seem more interesting. 
I would do a lot of digital zooms. And we're talking about, you know, 1920 by 1080 uh, HD at that point. So all of, and I would go, I would have a two minute shot and I would go really, really close into, to a close up, extreme close up. And the, in the, in the footage would degrade and it was, it was amazing. Yes. But it just, and for me, but it was a stylistic choice because it was out of desperation. Just you want to know something? You know, yeah. Sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. No, 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 please, please, please. Um, you know, I have been in that. So I just did, uh, we, there's this thing, it's called the 72 hour debacle where you make a film in 72 hours. It's part of the Sick and Wrong Film Festival. Uh, and it, it's just a lot of fun. My community of filmmakers, were all those uh, little indie horror genre budget filmmakers, we're all over the place. And we all get together and we do this thing and we shoot our movies in 72 hours and then we screen them online together with like a little right. chat room just like this. And it's so much fun. It's like a digital film festival. And we're really just making it for the love of making something yeah, and showing each other. It's so much fun. And someone said, like, I wonder if you can shoot. Uh, I wonder if we could shoot a feature in 72 hours. Because here's the thing. You have to make it up from the start. 72 sure, hours. No, I know. I, I know, boom, I know you about know. these festivals. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a 40. It's like 48 hours. But but the thing is, you know, Stephen, the guy who runs it, he's like, it can be as long as you want. So if you decide for whatever crazy reason that you want to make a 70 uh, a 72 hour feature length film, I mean, 72 uh, a feature length film in 72 hours go right ahead and um and so this year somebody posted online that they were toying with the idea of doing a feature-length film and when i heard that i was like i'm gonna do a feature-length film in 72 hours and i'm not gonna say anything to anyone i'm just gonna quietly shoot a I'm going to quietly do it and then just be like, hey, I did one, too, just for the sake, just just for the shits and giggles to like uh, uh, annoy people. Brian, Brian Smith is on. He says, hey, it's owner. You know, Brian, I know, Brian, I've been looking at Brian Smith uh, for the last. Is it wait, Brian? It, there's two Brian Smiths. I know Brian, Brian Smith. W. Smith, who I also know that from genre. Him and I met at genre blast film festival so Brian Smith at is that a- Alamo. Tell Brian I said hello, and I, can he, he hear can me? hear you. He can hear you. Okay, he's, he's watching. Brian Smith. This is Brian Smith, the actor, screenwriter, horror screenwriter. Brian Smith. I right? believe not, so. I not believe the so. Host of a podcast called. He's been uh, on the show. He's been on the oh, show oh, in the wonderful. past. Yeah. So Brian, uh, I, Brian's in my new movie that I've been editing. I just I just finished a rough cut today oh, nice. in my new movie. Yeah, and so Brian I, Brian was also in a movie I made called uh, Black Magic for White Boys. He's fantastic. Yes, Brian. I want to see that one. I've that's been that's been on the uh, really on my to watch list. I'm really proud of that movie. It's yeah. about a magician. It's a, it's about three subplots of spoiled white men, and it's about a magician who uses magic to to uh, get rid of a lot of tenants. And this, it's basically a metaphor for uh, for for uh, for gentrification. gentrification and whatnot. Yeah. And and I'm really proud of it. Brian's great in it, and then Brian's great in the new movie that I'm making, which is, it's a slasher film called Pound Cake. I'm really if Pound you like cake. Stuff, yeah, it, it, you know what's fun, what's fun about this new you have movie, good movie posters, by the way. Like oh, you're. Well, Black Magic for White Boys, or whatever you just whatever the, the title. I like I see all your posters and it makes me really want to watch the film. It captures my imagination. The, the, Thank the posters. I don't have yeah. a lot of luck with trailers, but the distributors who put my movies out, they don't do a good job with trailers. I have more success with I don't want to complain about things. But but thank right. you. I appreciate that, Jeff. Thank you. The yeah. new movie, um, if you like Summer of Blood, this is easily the best thing I've done since Summer of Blood. Cool. Um, it is a horror comedy. And it is vicious. It is funny. It's got a lot to say about uh, lots of different things. Um, I don't want to talk about it too much because it's you know it's 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 several months away from being finished. But 
man, um, going back to what you're saying about the process of making a film and loving the process of it. Oh, well, you also, let's go back to well, finish, finish your thought, I, finish I your thought. Well, I, before, well, the idea, just the process of making films and how lovely and amazing it is. And like, yeah. if you're going to make a, and I would say about making a feature film in 72 hours, that's a beautiful, great thing if you can pull it off. But also, it's very, very self-indulgent. <laughs> you know, because you're, you're asking people to sit through a 70-minute or 80-minute movie. Yes. It could be horrible. And there's a yes. good chance it's going to be horrible. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I would assume, did you end up doing it? Did you so, do it in 70? So what happened was I... So what happened was I saw this guy who said he was going to do it. I was going to do it. I had this idea that I had been percolating a really good, you know, what we all, what we all look for in the, in, you know, if you're trying to make independent micro budget, little stuff is what's a movie that can take place in one room. What's the movie that could be really interesting and have like three characters. And I figured it out. I figured out the best idea ever and it's not original it's it's alfred hitchcock's rope with a bunch of different things mixed together brian usna's the dentist which is also sort of hitchcock it just does the whole sort of thing of like the audience is watching something that the characters don't know is about to happen uh three characters in a room and we what i started doing was i started doing rehearsals and it was just it was going to be improv i had written out this detailed treatment where we we're going to have uh improv scenes yeah. Um, and just like kind of curb your enthusiasm style. Yeah, that's um, how you, I think that's how you would have to do it. If you're trying to exactly. write a script, it's absurd. You write a script, what, in 12 hours? I was like, no, 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 you like, have to, you have eight, to. Eight, was, yeah, yeah, having a detailed outline, not a detailed yep. outline, but a loose outline of like 80 scenes or 50 scenes, however long it is. Yep. Uh, and would, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go oh, ahead. That, did, that was your idea. Did you, so it's, it's, what's happening in, who are the three characters? Well, it, it, that was, it was a, it was a, it was basically, it was a, it was a love triangle, uh, murder, uh, plot thing between a therapist. Um, it was a therapist, her husband and his lover. Um, and it just, uh, sort of like a whole thing of, of the audience, you know, the, the things I was trying to play with were, or the things that the hooks, cause here's the thing, if you're doing something in one location, it's gotta be interesting. You gotta have promises that periodically pop up story-wise. So at the beginning, we're going to promise you that we're going to get to this part. And then when we get to this part, there's another promise that you want to see how this finishes out. And I feel, I felt like I had all that stuff together, but it just realistically, we were, it was, it was very hard to rehearse. It was not going to, I could see, I could already see the tea leaves that it was not going to work out. And I love the idea. It was such an ironclad, like the, the whole story structure. It was so perfect. It could literally be shot in, it could be shot like a play. It's that, it, it's that tight. Um, especially if you had good improv actors. And I just, I said, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this idea on ice. I'm just going to make a short film. And then on my 36th birthday, which was Thanksgiving Day, which was the start of the 72-hour film festival, I took the carcass of the turkey from my parents' house and brought it home and decided that I was going to do the feature-length film in 72 hours. And I did it right there on, on my cell phone. I, I shot a whole feature-length film on my cell phone in 70 hours. And uh, I, I, I made this batshit crazy thing i figured out a way to sort of do it and uh just to see if i could do it and it was a marathon of insanity and completed it and i made it it's it's an hour and five minutes long so i i made the credits seven minutes long to get to an hour ten 
Yeah. And it was ex- it's an excruciating. It's excru- it is an excruciating film to uh, watch. It's got a lot of. I went to New Jersey. I went all over the place. We went to a punk show. I used I folded the punk show into the into the plot. Uh, we just went everywhere. Uh, really made good use of that turkey carcass. Uh, just really covered it in coffee grinds. Uh, just had and and it was just the best way to spend. My birthday. I'm going to shoot a fucking feature length film by myself in my house at two o'clock in the fucking morning. And that's what I did. And we did it. And it was a lot of fun. And it was, yeah, it was absolutely excruciating to watch. And uh, we're trying, I'm trying to make it a little, I'm trying to make it a little bit better so I can put it on my YouTube channel and, and show more people. Well, and, I, I mean, yeah. I can watch something like that if it's got good acting, <laughs> good writing, you know what I mean? Like uh, my, my, my first movie house of pancakes takes place in a house and the whole conceit was one house, one location. Yeah. We yeah, yeah. A, we, and and uh, it was, I was influenced by, of course, a lot of the filmmakers you mentioned from the early nineties, but specifically Tom Noonan's um, what happened was, which is really a, it's a two-hand. Tom Noonan, the actor, yeah, made a, he made, was also he, a filmmaker. He wrote a, I think he's made several movies, but he wrote, directed a movie in the in the mid '90s called "What Happened Was." It's uh, him and um, oh shit, I can't believe I, her name's escaping me. She's an actress, Karen Sillis, I think is her name. She was in a bunch of Henry uh, Hal Hartley movies in the '90s. She's a brilliant fucking actress, but it's basically those two are just having a date, a really awkward first date. She yeah. invites him to her house where he invites her to his house. And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just watching. I'm enthralled, mesmerized by these performances by how weird and kind of cryptic and strange and surreal and ominous it is. And I ended up saying, look, if, if, if he can do it, I'm going to try to do something similar. Of course, not nearly as successful, but I made a black and white movie on, on reversal, uh, Fuji reversal in 1996 called House of Pancakes. Where can we see that? Is that available? It's not. A, I mean, I've, I've got to retransfer. It got a release by EI Cinema, which is was a small okay. distributor in New Jersey in the mid in the late in the mid 90s. It got a release on VHS. And um, I've still got all the film prints. I've still got all the audio. I need to retell any everything to 4K and re-edit it, which would not take that long because it's, you know, we it's against a five to one ratio. We had five <laughs> hours of footage. And yeah. uh, but I, I but I, I'm very proud of the movie. It's got some amateur. I want to see it. You you ticked all yeah, my boxes. It, it, I it, it's it's cool because it's a mix. A lot like a lot of my films, it's a mixture of genres. It's a comedy. It's a romantic. It's romantic. It's it's a horror film. It's a drama. It's it's a, it's a mashup of a lot of different genres. What I've always kind of done. This new movie is definitely a mashup of slasher films and political co- social commentary. It's sex comedy. It's a lot of different things. Catfight was kind of a, a, a satire, a social satire. It was a, it was an action film. It was Cat, a feminist. Catfight uh, is, I think Cat. I mean, I haven't seen all your films, but of all the films that I've seen, which I've not seen two, all of them, I've seen like three. Catfight is the best one. Catfight was oh. the, the story of Catfight. I don't even know how you came up with that story. Well, before, uh, we go, before, is, we go, before we go into yeah, yeah, that, yeah, though, sorry, I, ahead, I, will say, yeah. I will say the one location movie to me is something that I I love plays. I love dialogue. I, I, I make my living as a graphic designer and an editor. And when I get graphic design jobs or motion design jobs, I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to anything I want. And I, what yeah. I used to do is I used to listen to movies. I used to listen to films all the time. Yes. My, favorite film, my favorite films to listen to were movies that were based on plays or movies that right. took place in one or two locations. I watched right. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross you know uh, david mamet's movie from oh, the yeah. 90s I've, I've listened to that movie fucking 30 or 40 times and what it does is it gives you a kind of an ear 
for the nuances of language, the musicality of language. You know, I've probably mm-hmm. listened to Hal Hartley's Henry Full fucking 30 times. You know what I mean? Um, and I love movies that are set in one location. Again, give me a really great set of actors and some good dialogue. Right. And I'm, I'm transfixed. Right. Uh, the Big Kahuna was another great movie from the 90s. Had Kevin Spacey, Kevin Danny Spacey, DeVito. Yeah. Three yeah. people in a hotel room. And, and like, and you don't really, they don't make movies like that anymore. I think Polanski's no. uh, made a few movies like that. He made that movie Carnage a couple of years ago that came out. And every now and then you'll have films that come out. But uh, I can watch that all day. As long as, you know, it, it, the, the fucking script has to be good. I think for me, a, a big problem with a lot of films these days are people think they're auteurs. Directors who are very fine directors, they're not the best writers. And they're writing and directing when they shouldn't be writing. I don't want to sound like an elitist prick. I should no, probably you are with 150 billion. You just like na- you nailed it on the head. I think it's, it's right. really, really true. I mean, the writer is it's a vaunted uh position it's a it, it's a specialized art listen i should probably oh, yeah. be writing and not directing directing is specialized too but i just happen to like to direct and also my priorities in the last decade have misrepresented my ability as a director i think people think that i i don't care about visuals or i'm not a good visual director or my movies look cheap or whatnot i when i want my movies to look good they look good and we want them to look good we we, we can make them look good and i'm all visual virtuoso when i want to be it sounds like i'm bragging but uh, but a lot of the films when you make a film in 11 or 12 days you have to think about priorities and for me of the priorities have been, the oh priorities God, have yes. been performance it's like i want time to shoot performances and less time about the visuals. I'm more interested in how a movie sounds and how it's performed than how it looks. Although now with the last few films, this French film that just came out uh, last year, it's aesthetically one of the most beautiful films I've ever made. It's called That Cold Dead Look in Your Eyes. We yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Um, it's a As beautiful you, movie. About- Morantz? I oh, it's that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, your dying eyes. I don't even know how to pronounce it in French. I speak I... no French at all. <laughs> I do want to make some other foreign movies. I want to go to Turkey and make several movies in Turkey. I want to go to Poland and make a movie. I've been to Wrocław, Poland, several times. I'd love to make a movie out there. I, I love that uh, that city, and and, and uh, I'd love to make a movie in France. What in another country? It's just exciting. Yeah. I, but but the one location movie, man. It's uh, for, it, I made a movie called The Misogynist. For me, the, the whole conceit was that's, two that's people. That's about the election or it's something? about two people celebrating in a hotel room on election night, 2016 election, the Trump Trump election. And I wanted to make something that was apolitical that criticized both sides because yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a lefty, but I also am very – I like to criticize – I, I like to criticize my party. I think you have to do right. to well. Do the that. La- nobody's nobody's perfect, and you want to. It's not about it's not about uh, demonizing one side and and being more divisive. It's like uh, shining a light on all all the shortcomings of all sides of the spectrum. Absolutely, right? and then when you have when you have an absolute morality where you absolutely think that you're right about something, and you take a smug stance for an elitist stance. Yeah. I mean, that's to me, that's just fucking evil and gross and also causes hostility on the other side. Like, so I, I don't know. I, I tend to my, my goal has always been to try to, you know, bridge the gap between the right and the left through uh, derision, through 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 mocking, mocking both sides. You know, so that, yeah. that was the idea behind the misogynist. Again, Dylan Baker I, in that movie, Trieste Kelly Dunn, Ivana Milicevic. I don't know if you ever watched the show Banshee. I had a fucking killer cast. Uh, in the I watched. OK, I watched the that was on that was on Cinemax. I watched the that's with the Amish. I watched the first season, and you know the my favorite part. My favorite part was really the uh, the the Amish characters. I I was 
so is it Amish? I've never seen not... Banshee. I just know that people oh. love Banshee. Yeah, I just, you know? I, I kind of, I fell, it fell off. I couldn't, I couldn't get into the second season. But yes, that no, first no problem. You could say that you yeah. thought it sucked. It's fine. But Trieste, Kelly Dunn, and Ivana Milicic are on that show, and they're in yeah. um, the massages, and they're fucking brilliant. The whole cast is brilliant. But Dylan Baker is fucking incredible. No one saw his performance, and I thought it was a real travesty that no one saw it. And I think that, you know, the idea is, has that come out a, yet, by the way, that's available. It came, out, it came okay. out, barely came out three years ago. Like all my films, if you talk about punk rock, how much you look punk, punk rock, this is a very punk rock Love. movie. And, you know, we're not living in a time right now where you can be punk rock and people will embrace you because punk rock is always about kind of sticking the finger to authoritarianism and corporate kind of, you know, uh, you kind of seem like a punk rock filmmaker to me in general, you seem punk rock, which is why I feel like it's so perfect. Like your, uh, your attitude when I've listened to you talk about you have a there's a your tenacity, your tenacity is what makes you punk, like whether you like it or not, like you have this ten, tenacious attitude towards going out and making movies. And when I listen to you, like some previous like like you talking about stuff like it lights a fire of like, you know, like do not sit on your ass and wait around. Just fucking go out there and fucking give them hell. You know, well, yeah, when you use um, creativity as fuel and it, your yeah. podcasts and your films and stuff, I, I don't really have much of a choice. And I'm and I'm terrified before I sit down to write a screenplay. I'm always terrified that the words aren't going to come, you know, because mm. I don't quite know where they where they come from all the time. I consider myself a, a very dumb person. I don't mean that like in a oh my god self hatred kind of way. You know, you're a smart guy. I, I I have a lot of smart friends. I know what intelligence is. That ain't me. And I and I feel like listen, you have to earn it. You have to consume things. You have to read. You have to listen. You have to think about things. And for me, I'm either working to make a living or I am uh, making something creative. Trying to read as much as I can in between. But or I, I write a lot of music too. But I I spend a lot of time just in the process of making things just to fight off depression. It is kind of like, it is medicine for me. I have to have it just to get that endorphin kick or whatever that, yeah, <laughs> it is therapeutic. It's absolutely therapeutic. Yes. Septian, if you've seen Septian, there's a ton of artwork in the movie. Yes. Of original, and I yes. did all that artwork. That's my artwork. I painted all your, that stuff. This is your cover. That's my cover. That's one of the paintings from the movie. It's not well, one of the best. That's what made me. That's what made me buy it. I saw the oh, cover cool. and that's I was cool. like, "I'm gonna buy this because I don't even know what it's about." I literally bought it blind. I, I didn't even. I don't even think I read the back. And I watched it. I literally. I watched it maybe nine or ten years ago or something. Well, you know, and you should. It, I, I show. I showed the movie in a fucking art gallery in Reno, Reno, Nevada, Nevada, about three, four years ago. And man, it, it played so well. It's such really? a weird dream. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna spin it again. Turn all the lights off, man. Turn all the lights off. Get really cozy and like let it. Do you are you do you smoke weed? You don't seem like a weed I, smoker. I I am uh I am I am sober now. Oh but nice. I have no problem. I I don't have any problem with weed smoking. I will. I do want to ask you. You just elicited a question when you said a dark room, and I two things, three things, four things, five things. Wait. Okay, I need to go to. Uh, we have to go to our commercial break. Sure. You have to answer the pizza punk question. And I Absolutely. have one question, and we will continue this conversation. And I just want to quickly say the film is from 1979. It's Woz Wozniak. W, yeah, Wozniak. It's W O Y Z E C K. 
And it was uh, one of, you know, they collaborated on seven films. And you should see My Best. I'm sure you've seen My Best Fiend. If you my haven't. I've never yeah. seen My Best Fiend. Oh, it's, about, oh, it's, dude. Docu- it's a documentary about the making of Agira, uh, Wrath of God, no, no, right? No, 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 it's a documentary about his Klaus relationship Kinski with Klaus and, Yes, and how yeah. even though they were they hated each other, they were adversaries, but they made eight mo- seven movies together and how they needed each other and what it says yeah. about we don't get to we don't necessarily love the people that we make the best art with and sure. that we are forced and you see this with musicians constantly constantly how many times you look at a band who they fucking hate each other but why are they in the band why are they still married to each other because they found the creative mojo and they can't they do they that's the only way they can be that tension, creative a lot yeah beauty comes from that tension you know absolutely right right but but that. but i'm so sorry i'm cutting you off real quick we're gonna go to the commercial break you're gonna think about the question is pizza punk and i uh, you know God, my fingers, they're so sticky. Are your fingers sticky? Um, Feel your fingers will. right now. Are you? Is your face sticky? Is my face? You know what else sticks? Oh, here stickers. we go. Commercial. Can I go to the bathroom? Stickers. Yeah, go, go, to go, the to the bathroom. Bathroom. Okay, go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. Go, go. You know what else sticks, guys? Stickers. Stickers are what stick. Um, And this channel is powered by riotstickers.com. And uh, what riotstickers.com, great independent business um, uh, run by uh, Josh Sharpie Riot. They put out stickers. I wish I, you know, he just sent me some stickers and I don't have it on my persons. They are beautiful. These are beautiful vinyl stickers. We're doing a special promotion with riotstickers.com. It's normally $59, but for $29.50, you can get 50 Three inch by three inch stickers at riotstickers.com with a 50% off code from us. The link is down in the description of this video. Like I said, you might need some, some, you know, if, if you are a visual person, if you are a visual artist, if you need something put on uh, uh, or represented visually, what better way to do that than stick it with a sticker? So what you do is you take your sticker, you put it on a pole, you stick it somewhere, and suddenly your message or whatever your message is, it is projected for the world. And you're not going to find a better way to do that than with ridestickers.com competing stickers, uh, brands and companies. Their stickers don't stick the way that Riot stickers stick. I got to tell you, I love Sharpie Riot and his Riot stickers. So check it out. Promo code is from us, like the name of the channel, F-R-U-M-E-S-S-S. Link is in the description. And we're going to watch the quick 60-second video um, talking about riotstickers.com. Then we'll get back to our conversation real soon.
All right, riot stickers. That's why I was talking about things being sticky. I always segue in by going, oh, you know, something. I, I always use sticky as a way to go and talk about stickers. And then in this case, riotstickers.com. But we are back to our conversation. And I I propose the, the thesis question of this ongoing show um, to owner here. And I said to him, I said, is pizza punk? Uh, and if it is punk, why is pizza punk? And if it is not punk, why is it not punk? And I want to know if you have an answer for me, sir. It's not a good answer, but I mean, the first thing that popped in my head was pizza is so popular and everybody loves it that it's not punk because punk is kind of a specialized, you know, thing. a lot of it's very rarefied, right? I mean, it's a very small percentage of the population who likes punk, right? And everybody, I, I would argue loves- punk is very, I mean, listen. Is it very I, mainstream? Yeah. I, I think I think it's very I think I think it's very mainstream. And as I said to you before, your subjective answer is going to be valid no matter what. No, no, it is. no. I would talk it out because, like, you know, yeah. what, what, what one out of ten people like punk, that is mainstream, right? Or is it two out of people? What seven out of ten people like pizza, right? Like, I mean, like everybody fucking loves pizza. And I, punk isn't the same as rock and roll. I mean, I don't even know what punk really is. I'm always talking about punk rock. I always just I always saw punk rock as like whatever the clash. That's the that's punk rock, right? And well, I mean, look, punk is you know what punk is many things, and you know, it's kind of like I feel like punk is also like the the Tao, you know, like the Tao Te Ching. The if if you talk to talk about the Tao is to not know what the Tao is, like that that whole that whole trip. Like you know, if you try to describe punk, that's not punk. Like you, there's no way to. You know, and you you could sit here and and come up with with textbook definitions of what punk is. But, you know, one of the definitions of punk, for sure, one of the ways to identify punk is simplicity and just the way that there there is beauty in simplicity. Uh, And for when it comes to punk rock, the, the whole idea, this whole idea, this notion of you take three chords and you go and you form a band and you make music and the three chords. Uh, you, you have three chords and you have pizza sauce and cheese and that's all you need to make a pizza in the same way that's all you need you need three chords to make a song and so in my personal opinion again i'm not saying yours is not that yours is perfectly valid in in my personal opinion that's what makes pizza so punk is that it's like this this simple everyman food that um, you only need these three things to make it. However, there are so many different ways to do pizza. There's so many different toppings and combinations uh, to make something so unique and yet so identifiable because pizza has specific markers that make it pizza. It's like the age old question is a hamburger, a sandwich. Is it a sandwich or is it a burger? And, you know, some people will say it's a sandwich. Some people will say it's a burger with pizza. You need certain markers that make it a pizza. But yet at the same time, you can put so many crazy toppings. You go to these specialty pizza shops and they got like just crazy banana toppings, like just insane things that you could put on a pizza and you still call it pizza. You got bean burrito pizza. You go to Demos in Chicago. They got crazy pizza. They put macaroni and cheese on pizza. You got tortellini pizza. You got taco pizza. So, you know, I don't know. Is it punk rock to be drunk as fuck stumbling down the sidewalk in the Lower East Side with a fucking just gross slice of pizza in your hand, like, you know, stumbling? Because I've done that several times. Maybe. 
if that if that's punk, then then pizza's definitely yeah. punk rock. You know, I I love pizza so much. I try to avoid it. I Me put too. on weight so easily. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, my face yeah. just balloons up. It all goes in my belly. But oh, fucking love pizza. Nothing yeah, like a good story. pie, and it's and it's great. You know, it's not the best food to. It's not the most humane food to be fil- feeding your crew, uh, mm-hmm. but it's also so like easy and awesome, and so you're never gonna find so, in general, generally speaking, you could always go to like a whole film crew and be like, hey, you guys like pizza everyone's like yeah well, I, I, love I, pizza. I gotta tell you when it's 11 day i think we shot for 11 days we have a few more days to shoot but uh we had to have pizza twice and i apologize both days because i'm like <laughs> we want to keep things green we want to keep things healthy but again people shrugged and said hey pizza who complains everybody likes to taste the pizza so well uh, maybe if you add a little salad you know you can put a little salad on the we, side yeah, we, did, we, had, we had side salads on yeah there, yeah, yeah. yeah nobody really ate them but 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 then we definitely had them so yeah, um you know Here's what I want to ask you. Here's what I really want to talk about with you um, or what I'd like to know and get your your two cents and your you have a lot of experience. And I just want to hear your experience about all this stuff. The state. What like this notion of how distribution for films and like what that looks like and how like the Internet is such a weird thing, because on one hand, the Internet has created. Uh, just like the way that the DSLR gave anybody the ability to make a good looking movie, the Internet has basically allowed anybody who has the both the juice and the, like, for instance, if you have a cult of personality, like like a like a like a like an audience, whatever the size is, if you have a cult of personality that surrounds you, that you can drive traffic to a very specific pinpoint place on the Internet and self-distribute yourself or. You know, the, the, or, or, and, and also the notion of, and I'm just sort of like throwing a, a bunch of things at the wall and you just talk. Um, the idea of, the idea of like, is a distribution deal without a money guarantee in this day and age, is it nothing but vanity? Is it nothing but validation? Because you're never going to see a dime. And it's just like, oh, we got picked up by, by this boutique label, but they don't pay, they don't pay people. And it yeah. goes back to this notion of, hey, I can make a film for a couple thousand bucks. Why on earth would if I'm not going to make my money back giving it to a distributor, why on earth would I why on earth wouldn't I not? And this is the Joe Schwamberg, Mark Duplass mentality of like own your work. It's like literally the most valuable thing you could do. Maybe someday if you do make a name for yourself or if you do make a splash that someone's going to want to license your catalog. And if you own everything, then that's a friggin possibility. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, I can't speak to anybody else but my own experience, and I and I, I yeah, yeah, like please, say, please, and I always like to say, oh my god, I mean, I, I'm so I've got such a big fucking mouth, and I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> fucking half the time. I know how to talk. I can talk about making movies because I know how to do that. That's quantifiable. That is something that's right. very specific and scientific. When I talk about things that are nebulous, like the state of uh, distribution, I'm t- talking out of my ass, and I'm talking from uh, out of my own frustrated experiences of not yeah. getting into certain festivals, not getting. Uh, distribution oh, deals talk about festivals too talk about festivals too. you've had yeah, some well, interesting festival well, I've experience had, i've had luck and i've had bad luck but but, but yeah. i'm not i'm not singular i'm not I, sometimes it feels personal when your movies don't get into film festivals because you're like yeah why are oh, yeah. so-and-so certain filmmakers are preordained they're predestined they're, they're, whatever they make is going to get into certain festivals so those those festivals support their work that can be very annoying. It can be very annoying when you see at Sundance or South by or other festivals that all bunch of the movies that are playing already have distribution or are created by uh, Netflix, Apple TV or whatever. It's like, oh, well, Jesus Christ, those movies don't they don't need any fucking help. 
what what who needs help who needs the visibility who needs the exposure of these low budget filmmakers who are making movies um so here's the what i've learned and where we've got this movie right now that i think is very viable it's beautifully made beautifully acted it's got a great diverse exciting uh cast pound, pound it, cake right pound cake it's yeah. it's got a really great hook it's a horror movie that i think could be a franchise easily because the fucking idea is fucking solid and i'm just <laughs> really excited about it it's, it's the best thing i think I've, I've ever done and if anybody again if people like summer of blood and summer of blood was very popular a horror punk rock kind of horror film uh really fucked up comedy this one is definitely in that ballpark but i think it's next level in terms of comedy i'm, I'm i have to I, I don't have a pr person so i have to be my own pr machine right so so the hope is okay i want to find a sales rep right somebody who will take the movie pimp out the film and maybe submit it to festivals now look to get into the big festivals you got to have relationships with some of these these uh programmers 100%. out there 100%. now sales reps have those relationships they can champion your movie they can play the politics there's a lot of politics there you know they do take some filmmakers blind who they you know they've never met before but whatever two thousand people submit a movie they take one or two movies of two thousand people that submitted a movie blind. everybody else has to have an edge so right. a sales rep and, and here's the, and this is the catch 22 that i've found on some of my movies it is hard to get a sales rep if you haven't gotten into these film festivals already because you know or, or if they see your movie early um, and they think there's promise. They will they will help you get into these festivals and film festivals. You go to the film festival. You go to a big market. Hopefully, the movie sells to a streaming service or to a distributor or whatnot. But if you don't get into the festivals, it's hard to get the sales rep. If you don't have the sales rep, it's hard to get to the distributors. So all those things are kind of connected, in my opinion. Now, I've earned enough of a reputation. Some people like me. Some people don't. But everyone agrees that I make interesting work that's that's, that's pretty well made. I and think then so. If I, and I and I know enough distributors and enough contacts that I can reach out to people and sales reps and say, "Hey, I have a new movie that's finished. Would you like to watch it?" And they'll consider it. The, the big problem with my movies is just that they're just a little bit too well. They don't have big Catfight had big actors in it. We had we had success with that. But a lot of my movies don't have. I don't know. They're just they're small or quirky or weird or not marketable. They can't sell them. A lot of distributors will tell me, "Oh, I like your movie a lot, but I can't make any money off this. We can't sell it to a streaming service or whatever." So I, I mean, I, I again, it's I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, I know Mark Duplass did this keynote um, address at the, South by Southwest. The Calvary is not coming. The best keynote ever in the history of fucking keynotes. But Loved what? It. But but what was his point? His point was get movie stars right and that's how you'll get your film finance no, was that it no. wasn't his point what was his point his point and again and i'll be honest with you i, I i've seen i like creep I, i'm not a big i'm much more again talk about the cult of personality i am so, like i've seen some of his work and it's okay like it's, it's nothing nothing bad or, or good or whatever it's just like i've seen his work it doesn't his work doesn't turn me on as much as him as a filmmaker and what he accomplishes and his attitude he is uh his the pragmatic uh, uh just sort of spirit that he has what he said in that keynote in 2015 is the calvary is not coming at that time that's when netflix was still sort of, you know, uh, slowly, they were beginning to taper. They weren't taking indies anymore, but they were still, you know, because, you know, if, if this is like 2012 or whatever, like you could get 
you could get your it was summer possible blood, to get summer a fucking, blood, summer of blood got on netflix in that's where i watched it then i think it, that's it, where it i watched Showtime, it sure it's smaller movies they, they don't you know but the, but there are other, other streaming services like tubi and stuff like that now that are tubi that are is doing making, that right tubi is tubi is like Tubi is the shit right now. Lots of independent. Well, well, it's it's in as you know, taking the pulse of what I hear from filmmakers on Facebook and stuff. I'm in like every single filmmaker distribution film group, which is where literally where you can catch the pulse of everything that is happening in the industry. Because here's part of the problem. Part of the problem is the goalposts. And this has been my personal problem. The goalposts keep getting moved and they move so fast. By the time you're running, by the time you're, you're, you're a foot away from where the goalpost is, you look up and it's 15 feet ahead and you go, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Like I was getting ready for this. Now it's a, what so where what so you're like you're you're constantly trying to catch up as things are are changing constantly yeah. you get these boons from time to time where where Amazon opens its its floodgates and like blows the doors off of like it, you know indie distribution by going hey upload your film to to Amazon Prime one of the biggest marketplaces in the world we'll give you a nice streaming royalty rate and you guys can do your thing only to then become the biggest game in town and go nah we're gonna turn off that faucet fuck you. Um, it's constantly, it's constantly evolving around 2015, Mark Duplass, he's going, look, you gotta stop thinking, you, you gotta stop thinking that or, or waiting around to, um, a, that, that, that the, that you're going to find your way into the pitch room and, you know, uh, pitch your movie and you're going to get your budget and you're going to get your Netflix distribution deal and, and all it's all going to be hunky dory. You need to start wherever you are. You need to just start making movies. You just need to go, go, just do it. Just yeah. do it now. And, you know, that's probably the greatest lesson that I, you know, again, if you want to be a filmmaker, when I'm saying you, I'm talking about whoever might watch this, if anybody watches this, or in general, if someone is is rhetorically saying, I'd like to be a filmmaker, how do I get started? If that's the case, you don't have to move to LA, you don't have to move to New York, you don't have to move anywhere. Stay right where you are, in whatever town you are, go into your attic, find the weirdest thing in your attic, and then try and write, uh, make it the MacGuffin, and write a, a fucking weird ass screenplay around it and go and shoot your film and fucking make your movie. And right then and there, you can be a filmmaker. You don't have to wait. And your yeah. movie is going to be more interesting in New York because you have that weird fucking thing that was in your attic that nobody else has. And, you know, you're not making another cookie cutter, you know, zombie film. You're making this weird quirky thing that nobody else has and that doesn't apply to every single type of filmmaking or filmmaking style but in what but that's what i heard when i heard mark duplass giving that that calvary speech so um yeah i i uh i absolutely believe in the egalitarianism of filmmaking and i think that's what's beautiful about the time we're living in is you can make a movie for three thousand four thousand dollars that looks and sounds good and if you get good acting listen you don't have to spend any money for acting if you find great actors you find three actors who really want to be in a movie they uh Yep. You know, um, absolutely. There's that red thing popping on the screen. I'm sorry. I yeah, was, those uh, are those are comments oh, from people. That's JD. And 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 uh, Brian says he's inspired. Great discussion. So Brian's always inspired. It. He's constantly writing. He's, 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 yes. He's, he's, yes. He's he is quite the writer. writer. Yeah. I'd he's like always to getting Brian. nominated. He's always getting nominated at a genre blast film festival. I would like to see some some of his movies get turned into to, to horror, horror movies or whatever type, you know, type of movies he makes. Um, I, 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 the difference, and I'm again, I believe in the egalitarianism of making movies, but I feel like for me, 
Um, it's less about like, oh man, what can I make a movie about that might be interesting as opposed to, I got to get this off my fucking chest. You know what I mean? I got to say something because I've always just had this, I don't know, like this contrarianism or something like that. I've always been getting mm-hmm. in trouble since I was a young child. Yeah, I was always, yeah. I was always fucking getting in trouble. You know, I know, unfortunately, no, I'm not, a, I'm not in the misfits. <laughs> I am a misfit. Sorry, Dagger. I'm, I'm Sorry. a misfit, but not in the band. You know, we have no. misfits on this channel, but and what both in the band and out of the band misfits, <laughs> all misfits of all kind. Yeah. So you, uh, you so you're just having are, the, yeah. the need to say something, and that's what's kind of beautiful about where we're living. It is. You sure. can say that. Uh, I think that's what's beautiful about the podcast, even more so, oh. is that you know you it takes mm. even less resources now to, to say it. it out. And, then, and you know it's so funny because people are like, people don't have attention spans, and they can't. And I think that's kind of fucking true in the movie theater because assholes can't go two hours without checking their goddamn cell phones, which drives me crazy. Oh. But the whole idea of not having attention spans is also contradicted by the notion of the TV series and how somebody will watch ten hours of TV in three nights. And that that's counterintuitive to the last, idea of not having. But the last duel. Oh, we can't go see the last duel because it's a three-hour movie, and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, it just. I, <laughs> you know, I have my own. My, my big problem with the last duel. Did you see it? My big problem with I did, that was. I did. Give me a fucking listen. We've we've invested two and a half hours of our time to see this final fight. Give me a twenty minute epic fucking battle. Don't give me this truncated five minute fucking fight, yeah, which is not agreed. bad. But like, I want something fucking epic at the end. We um, needed, you know what I mean? We like, needed epic, and we needed we needed um we got uh, we got some catharsis, but we need I we needed more. There we need, need to have more. You know? I'm wanting to see those two. That I, I'm paying to see that final fucking thing. I love the. I love. I love this. I think it's so current. The Rashomon. I, the Rashomon. Yeah, angle. I love so the, good. The, 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 the skewed point of view of each person. I thought that was oh, fucking brilliant. I was a, a little. Story dis- I was a little disappointed in the writing because I'm a big um, uh, Nicole Holofcener fan. She's no. Is that is that who wrote she? No, no, wrote? no. Ben. So check this out. This is what's crazy about this uh, script that I did not know. So Ben Affleck and Matt Damon wrote the script. However. For the for the um the 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 wife's the women's I, I, yeah I forget her name she, that was Jody Comer yeah they brought her in because Cole they Lawson felt in. yeah they felt like if we need we need a, a female writer for this perspective which was I a th- smart move it was a good, I think it's a idea. smart move and she's a great yeah. writer but there was a yeah. lot of writing that felt a little hokey and it was like it could have benefited from people who actually had written that type of you know that 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 yeah. type of uh that, that anyway but the but my, my point is i don't even fucking remember what my point is now is that uh yeah everybody should make movies and, and they should do it but i i need to I need that's to punk say, rock by I, the way what you everything you just said by the way all the shit that you were just saying when we were talking about like what is punk rock you talk about like uh needing to say something that like if you want to talk about like the most base definition needing to say something and not having to go to thank you, Dagger, for the support. We truly appreciate it, Dagger. Thank you for the the, the tip and the support. Um, the um, uh, uh, needing to say something and not having to go to a gatekeeper to do yeah. it, just fucking taking what you have in your pocket and expressing yourself. That is the core of punk fucking rock. Yeah, and I love it. But I was, and I'll, it, which reminds me too, it's like the idea of you know not having attention spans, and then people listening to three right. hours, four hours of fucking podcast every day, and also the ability to I love start podcasts. your own podcast and speak for three hours about whatever yes. you want. I, mean, yes. I think that is a, it's a beautiful time we're living in where people can do that. Now you're also you've also got some of the pros and cons. The cons being misinformation and all that stuff, but that's always been the case. I, I feel yes. like I lie. I, I feel like I lie unwittingly twenty times, thirty times a day. I, I'm constantly getting things wrong. 
things that I may have just read about or heard, I, I was right. talking about, and I just did it wrong. That's just, I, that's hyper, just or hyperbole. Hyperbole comes into the into play, and you're like, you, you, you not you. I'm saying one uh, a person per people speak with hyperbole after yeah. reading something, and 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 things get like slightly exaggerated or 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 through a different uh, perspective. Yeah, I just get so annoyed by so many different things. You're, you're reading all about, you know, Tom Brady's. Uh, you, I know you don't follow football. You say you don't yeah. follow music as no, your I sport. Don't. But yeah, yeah, Tom yeah. Brady retiring, he, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks or one of the greatest athletes who ever played. Right, yeah, articles, I know who he is, yeah. And articles coming out saying there will never be another Tom Brady, and it's so infuriating because we've only had football for 100 years, right? And it's like yeah. or, or 80 years or 70, whatever. Like, yeah, like, I don't know, but it's like, I know it's less than 100 years, right? And it's like, okay, you're saying never, which means that, okay, so what if we, if football is around, I don't believe human civilization will be around for another 100 years. I hope it is. I hope we survive. I hope so too. I hope, I hope the world continues for another, you know, epoch, another billion yeah. years. But yeah. let's say it does. And let's say we have another 5,000 years of fucking football, right? So there's never going to be another fucking Tom Brady in 5,000 fucking years, even though we have 100 years of history to base it. I hate shit like that. This idea that we're not thinking about the future in terms of culturally, the things you can and can't say, a cultural appropriation or this and that. It's like only thinking about the now and not the future. What is the future going to look like? What about know? the Beatles? I the, Apply what you just said to the Beatles. I don't know if you're like one of those dudes who's like, oh, I don't like the Beatles because, you know, they think they're a little overrated. Blah blah blah. But if you're not one of those guys and you yeah. do like the Beatles, do you think do you think that applies with everything you just said? Does that apply to the Beatles? Jesus Christ, I don't know because rock and roll 200 years from now, it's going to be so derivative. People, it, who knows how it's going to evolve? We still have uh, classical music from you know 500 years, a thousand years. That's true. And but but is the Beatles does that count? They've only you know that's only 40 years of history since they made their music. Six, 60 years of history since they made their music. I, I have think- no idea. I know a lot of Beatles fans, diehard aficionados, I know would tell me to go fuck myself. The Beatles are going to be eternal. They will. They will never age. They'll be evergreen. But I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. You know. I I think Spielberg, the answer. Soderberg, Roger Corman, any of the art of contemporary artists who's really doing anything that's that's so singular besides like, uh, you know, um, Fritz Lang or, or Buster Keaton or people like that who are really fucking you know doing things that revolution. Metropolis. Time, you know? There's never going to be yeah, another Metropolis. Know? Oh, by the way, real quick, real quick, uh, to add to that list, I I, I had this rattling around in my brain um, and we keep going from thing to thing to thing because you are really good conversation. You are a phenomenal conversationalist. Um, I I feel like I'm having an off night. Oh, oh my God. No, you're firing on. No, you're firing on all cylinders. It's fantastic. Um, The uh, the uh, another film you were talking about going uh, to Austin 2001. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this you saw this film because that's right around the time that The American Astronaut by Corey Maccabee came out, which is one of my all time favoritest of favorite films that absolutely does that thing that we were talking about, like with uh, um, with uh, uh, Jim Jarmusch and and, and yeah. all and Stranger Than Fiction, all those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, these 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 shots, every single shot. It's a, it is a black and white Western sci fi musical shot on 35, um, like literally the weirdest fucking movie that also was on Netflix. That's where I saw it. It like it was on Netflix in I think 2013 it's never had a blue blu-ray release well, what's uh, the name of the filmmaker his name is Corey Maccabee um I is think he- that he made a movie called killer and thief wait something yes in yes thief. he did crazy About in the thief. Kids, crazy yes. in the thief. you know yep. I hung out with him at the Memphis Film Festival in 2014 That's awesome. I believe 
That's and, fucking awesome. And I never, but there were, there were, he was there. He was yeah. fucking awesome and amazing. And there was yeah. a cult of personality surrounding him. Everybody who had yeah. seen, uh, it's called the American Astronaut. What is the it American called? Astronaut? One of my all-time people, favorite films of all time. The, like the best. Were, they were starstruck when they would. You see have to it. see it. You yeah, have I to see it. I see it now. I haven't thought about it in years. But Crazy and Thief. Fucking yeah. blew my mind. It's this 15-minute movie about his kids running around as little rebels all around whatever city. I guess it was New York. I can't remember. New York. Yeah, he's in Brooklyn. And, he's a Brooklyn and, guy. And yeah. man, that fucking crazy and thief blew my mind. But but uh, but that was 2001. And you bring it up because it's shot the same way. Yeah, yeah. I was right, right. Yeah, I wanted to just. I I wanted to see if you had seen it, and if you hadn't. I had it. I haven't thought about Corey in a long time, but I want to see it because I heard how brilliant it is. You know. So you only how about you for- that. Did I freeze? No, I froze. Looks like I froze. You, Damn. You were freezing on my end, but now you're back. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens. That's part of the that is part of the ups and downs of live podcasting on YouTube. It just you you uh it, it's so funny. It's like it's like you're doing it's almost like you're doing um uh it's like performance. It's like a performance podcast that you do that uh, and speaking, you know, it's funny you were talking about how things are feature, feature length. And this is the ultimate irony of trying to uh, make money uh, from like creating things and like making art to finish that that very that thread before we were talking about American astronaut but I just want to put a pin in that for one second to finish the thread that we were talking about the uh, this is the sheer irony of 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 spending 18 months making a film for $2,500 we shot 23 days in 18 months and I'm thinking yeah this is gonna be my big fucking debut and you know I'm gonna sell it and blah blah blah, blah. that's how we all think right like you know mm-hmm. you're that first film yeah. delusions of gra- delusions sure, of grandeur sure. syndrome that you suffer from then you get a a shot of humility mm-hmm. you know you get the, the, the big dose of humility and recognize exactly what you are and then to come back to YouTube after the failure that I felt which I told you about and suddenly to get my channel not only remonetized but then I start to look around and I start to see YouTube in a completely different way that I have never seen before. We, you and I both, we remember what it was like before YouTube. When YouTube came around, we there was a stigma. Filmmakers have a stigma about YouTube. If you put your work on YouTube, there is, there is like it, it's um it's a very sort of like people turn their noses at something that's been put on YouTube. Would you agree with that? In all honesty. I guess back in the day, but that's also launched the career of people, right? The Broad City, it the has. girls did Broad City, didn't they? It do their has. Yes. Series on there, you know. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, no, no. The, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I guess there might be the stigma just because there's so much on YouTube that's bad that it right. feels like, why are you putting yourself up there with all the dregs of, uh, of right. the culture? You know, which is which is a, a, an elitist kind of right. point of view. Right. I think there could have been a time, or I guess it could still be a day where I might think. Oh my God! Why would you just dump your movie on YouTube? I, I a think lot about of people. Like, that was such a stigma. That was such look, a well, stigma. The same stigma too of like you being a DP or you being a director who who wants to shoot your own work and, and do your own sound and not get a proper sound person, not get a proper DP, and not having at least a crew of I don't know. Do you do crews of ten people, eleven people, or is it just two people? I, like- my so what happened was I found a guy. The guy I found this. Do you, you know the battery? The no, zombie film. The it's the zombie film. They made it for six grand and it, okay. it did what it, it, it was one of the, actually talk about one of the last genre films that really fucking toured on, you know, like blew up in that kind of way. Um, he convinced me I was not a I'm not I'm a videographer. I'm not a cinematographer. He was the guy who said, you shoot it. I'll do the sound. And we made that film together as like uh, just the two of us. 
uh, doing everything, you know, I'm all, uh, so I've I'm never had a, a crew. I'm all, I think that's great. I think to do that is all fantastic, but if, yeah. but you can, if you, if, if the sound is not amazing and if the cinematography, if it could be better, if you get someone who could, you knows what the fuck they're doing, I feel like you could shortchange yourself. And I, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm basically telling you what people are always telling me, which is like up your game. You know what I mean? Like yeah, 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 instead yeah. of making it for $2,000, find some find four or five people to give you two or three thousand dollars and make it for 15 or 20 or twenty five thousand. right look right people are saying to me stop making these eighty thousand dollars fifty thousand dollar movies <laughs> go back you know cat fight was only 350 and they keep saying after cat fight you should be at a million or two million dollars well i know a lot of people who will have a lot more talented than i am who can't raise a million or two million dollars they've been to sundance they've been to yeah. can they've been to toronto they've been everywhere they've had big they've had a lot of success with prior movies and it's like they're having a hard time. Again, the cavalry's not coming. You know what I mean? I've always had yes. the skepticism about that world. I'm like, I have control. I can make the movies I want to make for these budgets. Now, look, my my new movie, I'm not going to sit there and say that was a small budgeted movie because it wasn't because uh, we, you know, we were able to get a lot of money on it. But um, so it, sometimes you get lucky. You do find money. You know what I mean? And sometimes you don't. But at the same time, I don't know if I'm going to. If I if I if I were to make a, a low budget film right now in this environment, I don't know if I would be so outspoken about how much I spent on it. Because here's the thing: yeah, all the distributor needs is a, an incentive, a, a reason not to offer you an MG. Oh my God, they spent such a little amount of money. We could offer them a little bit amount of money to to, to release it, or um, you know, they haven't had festival presence. They just want to get the movie distributed, and we don't have to offer them anything. And if they know the movie is low budget, they won't. If they offer you anything, it won't be that much money anyway. But, but they so. don't exist. They literally, for a certain tier, they just don't like. I guess like the flip side of saying I'm doing a micro budget film is the notion of like you don't almost want to find distribution for it because they're not going to fucking give you a guarantee in the first place. They're yeah. just not going to do it. They're they're the never. It just doesn't happen. You the know? hope for the smaller movies, and they don't really get it. It's, it's getting into a big festival that legitimizes it. You know, or, a tiny budgeted movie gets into a movie a, a festival like Sundance. Uh, Fant- is great. Fantasia does still show yeah, very, yeah, yeah. very low budget. I love Fantasia. Fantasia. Oh, I've heard great things. Mitch heard Davis, great man, and there. those guys out yeah. of Fantasia, they're fucking great. I've never played Fantastic. I'd love to play Fantastic. I've been to Fantasia twice. Uh, I had a great time. I showed Summer of Blood there years ago. Abel Ferrara. I don't know. You know the director, Abel Ferrara. Yeah, of course. He, he of course. came to the screening of Summer of Blood. I had dinner with him and four or five other people. Wow. We fucking great, great fucking You talk vampires with you, you we talk, talk vampires We talked the addiction. The addiction was a big, big influence. I, uh, you know? Let me tell you yeah. something. I saw it for the first time this um th- this October, and I like I was like crying tears watching. How, it's so beautiful. It's yeah. the most beautiful black and white. It's so beautiful to watch, truly. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were a gorgeous, lot. There, there were stuff. a lot of weirdo movies from the '80s and '90s that had a big influence on Summer of Blood that I didn't really realize until after I, as I was in the post production process, I'm like, oh my god, uh, Larry Fassenden's Habit, 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 just also brilliant. also just saw Habit. You know what's funny? I've been watching that dude's films forever, and yeah. I've always been like, they always start, like I I enjoy his films generally, but there's never been never one of his films has like really just like get like just like oh yeah, that's the shit fucking habit was though habit. i watched habit 
And I was like, because that's the and that's the one that he's known for. And I had avoided it. I, you know, I watched Depraved, which just came out. It's a Frankenstein one, which is interesting. Yeah. I think it kind of falls apart for me. Falls a apart bit at the end. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, you first hour and a half. Away. Oh, I would. I, I, I said yeah. that to Larry personally, but like, I think. Yeah. I, I think they. I don't know. Maybe they ran out of money. I don't know what happened, but like, you feel like it kind of collapses at the end of it. But I it, really it like does. It. 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 It just. It. And I was. It, what. What was a letdown is it the, not a letdown, but like, I think Larry's. Larry's fucking brilliant. He's much better filmmaker than me, and way more he's a fucking brilliant. intelligent brilliant man brilliant. So i'm not brilliant on the movie neither I, one I of us speak. are yeah, neither yeah. one of us are but but what i love i was so invested in it that it just you know what it was it just didn't go where i needed it to go or wanted it to go and so i personally my own expectations made me uh uh let let me down not not yeah. him he did his no, thing he no, did his vision I, and well you know because the the promise and the idea from the beginning is fucking brilliant. Oh and, and it's yeah. just like the first, the first act in the first hour for hour and a half, it's got so much going for it. They get everything right that, you know, yeah. you can't, you can't capitalize on that promise. Like you were saying promises that need to be made on. And, and, and it's right. like, I felt like, you know, right. it, was, it was kind of this habit, however, and when to go, a lot of his movies uh, in, in the late nineties and early aughts, man, that's uh he, he, habit he's, just... he's very, habits fucking amazing. It's such a great, and you then there's a movie. There, you watch habit. And, and when you're done watching, habit the if you're a filmmaker and you watch habit you just go i need to make a fucking movie right the fuck that like that's what well, happens yeah, well, he, to you, you he, know? He a gnarly lower east he is a gnarly lower east side filmmaker who yes you know he made, he, when he made habit in the i guess it was the is 98 96 96 96 you know, he's running around with a 16 millimeter camera and a yeah, skeleton dude. crew around the lower east side making that film like i i was in north carolina beholden to him 10 years before I met him, he eventually did a Q and a yeah. with me for summer of blood. And it meant so much. Um, but I got to tell you, uh, the thing I love about specific va- some vampire movies is the fact that it is focused on kind of one character, the one lone outsider addiction right. is that case. It's about the- loneliness. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And, uh, yeah. and the addiction was that way. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie in the late eighties. I'm really excited about, Nicholas Cage playing Dracula in the no, fucking house. vampires kiss. Are you kidding me? Vampires. Fucking kiss, yes, man. Yes, yes. And, I wrote. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. No, no, no. You wrote what? You wrote what? You wrote what? No, no. That that vampires kiss kind of inspired my first feature length screenplay. I was so um. I I am a I am, and we talk about Nicholas Cage ad nauseum on this channel. I am yeah. a passionate, yeah. passionate Nicholas Cage fan. I am. My goal is to watch every single Nicholas Cage film he's ever made. He's made hundred and twenty three. Check wow. this out. Check out these stouts. Ready. He's made 123 films as an actor. He's only done three sequels in 123 films. I've watched 54 of his films. I watch all of the direct TV stuff too. All of like the straight to video stuff. I watch everything and I am enamored. And if you want to see a really good performance, watch uh, watch him with Werner Herzog in uh, Port Authority. uh, Oh my God, of course. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Dude, I love he, that. He's brilliant. That fucking brilliant. Film. Fucking it's a terrible brilliant. title. It's a terrible title of a movie. They, they want to call it Bad Lieutenant bad, Portico, yeah, New, call, yeah. New Orleans. They just want to call it Bad Lieutenant. That's what it was supposed to be they called. They shouldn't even call it Bad Lieutenant. They just should have had a one off movie on its own. Like, it didn't even yeah. need to be. It didn't even need that name. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. his performance 
Simpsons in that movie is fucking amazing. I think everybody's oh. great. Who's the rapper? Uh, Lim, Lim, exhibit. Not, exhibit. Exhibit. Fucking great. Yeah. Everybody's great. That in scene. It. That scene. The intensity. And you know, uh, and, and it's, that's when I first started to realize how brilliant Nicolas Cage is as an actor. And I had seen Vampires Kiss, mind you. But to yeah. me, I always think you know people always want to go to Cage and they go, oh, Rage Cage. He's the ra he's raging now. Look at him go crazy. Yeah. But the the truth of the matter is Nicolas Cage. He, everything that he does is there's something behind it. Like he has this style. He calls it Western Kabuki, nouveau shamanism. And what he does is all of his acting is based on like German expressionist sort of acting. He can do a realistic performance. Look at Pig. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Pig yet, but like that was a super subtle, restrained, Fucking realistic brilliant. performance. Brilliant. But he can he can literally do everything. And here's my here is my 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 theory, my philosophy. Nicholas Cage is like tofu and he is going to taste like whatever you season him with. So I don't put I never blame Nicholas Cage. I always blame the director. If the if Nicholas Cage is in a bad movie or, or doing bad stuff, I just say that director does not know how to ride the wild stallion. I think that that's kind of true. I think you never know what the situation is on a film set. It could be, yeah. a, you know, they talk about John Landis not being able to get a good performance out of Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop 3. This is a stupid, lame pedestrian But that's example. after the beef. But that's after the but beef. That's, that's after the beef. But he, but, but he said Eddie was, like, depressed. He couldn't get him. So it's like, okay, at some point, if your actor has an ego and just won't listen to the director, you never know what's going to happen there. I will say this too. Did you ever hear that thing about Brandon um, Marlon Brando when he would be on? I think I read this on the score. Biography. On the score, I, I can't remember. He was making fun of Frank Oz or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. Sure. And he no, he 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 referred to Frank Oz. And as by the Miss way, Piggy. score is a great. Yeah, Miss Piggy. The score is a great film, by the way. Good film. Yeah. Oh, great, I like that movie. movie. Of course. Um, yeah. Although you can, predict, you can predict it a mile away. What's going to happen? Ending's going to go when of you course. see that thing. But 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 the thing about <laughs> the thing about Brando would talk about in his bio. I can't remember specifics. But he talk about how he would intentionally do a bad take he would perform a take badly to see yeah. if the director would give him notes or to correct it and if the right. director just said oh that was great brandon uh marlon let's go didn't he would phone him. in the rest of his yeah. before disrespect the report. i can't remember the specifics but i remember thinking man that's that's scary but also makes you realize you have to be honest with people you even if you can't be intimidated yeah. by people so you know true what I mean? so true and you know what happened with the the island of of Dr. Of Dr. Moreau. Moreau. I mean, I, yeah, I heard and, about and, that. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, there is, and I well, wish they would make a documentary. I wish they would make two things. One, I wish they would make a story. Um, there, This is a true story. Marlon Brando, Michael Jackson, and um, Elizabeth Taylor all drove to somewhere in Ohio uh, on the day that 9-11 happened. They could not get an, uh, uh, they were all together and the, the planes hit and they um, they could not get out. And so they all hopped in a limousine and drove as far as the limousine would take them <laughs> to like to like, which kind of reminds me, like, imagine if you made this film, it would have to be like Hermione uh, uh, Harmony, uh, yeah, like Mr. Mr. Lonely. Lonely. Mr. Lonely. It'd be like Mr. Sure. Lonely, but in a limousine with Marlon Brando and Elizabeth uh, Taylor and Michael Jackson. And I would just love to hear the fly on the wall conversations between the three. Talk about one location movie. What Boom! They could, in a they limousine, could, they, they, they could get out of the limousine and go to the back. Have yeah, yeah, yeah. Coastside diners. Yeah. It would be brilliant. Again, great yeah. fucking dialogue. Great fucking actors. Yep. And I'm in. Did you yep. see that movie by who's the actress? Oh my god, she was in um Jerry Maguire. She's fucking brilliant. Renee Zellweger? No, no, no. The, the black actress who's uh, the, what's his mm. face's uh, wife. 
I can't remember. Uh, fucking Regina, Regina Hall? Regina? Uh, no, it's not okay. Regina Goddamn uh, Hall. No, I don't know. She's fucking fantastic. She directed this wonderful movie about, uh, it was One Night in Miami, I think it's called. It, it, it's, a, okay. it's about Sam Cooke, Muhammad Ali, and um, fucking, oh my God, I'm such a fucking It's idiot. based on a real true story or it's, it's just based sort of- on one night where they all got together uh, in fucking Miami. Um, who's not the opposite of God damn it. I feel like such a fucking idiot right now. Not Louis Farrakhan, but goddamn Ma- Malcolm X, Malcolm okay. X, yeah. uh, Muhammad Ali and, yeah. uh, and Sam cook. And it's about, you know, during the race, during the tensions of the civil, of the civil rights era and whatnot. And yeah. Muhammad Ali having to deal with all the shit he's going through. And of course, you know, and, and it's, it's a fucking brilliant, beautiful movie. And it's just these three, it, it, I, I, I probably a lot of, fabricated dialogue who knows what right. they actually really talked about of course, of course. but uh oh my god i can't I, i'm so I'm, I'm blanking on names i'm so bad with names i have this kind of situation it's also amnesia. like it's also like michael Lindsay hogg when he did another beatles project in 2000 they did a vh1 made for tv movie called two of us which is about when John, because in the late 70s, and I am, when you were talking about those Beatle guys, I am one of those Beatle guys. And in the late 70s, the uh, jo- uh, Paul McCartney, every time he'd come around New York City, he would visit John Lennon. And one time, and these guys, and there's no known recordings or if this, you know, who knows what. Um, oh, uh, Lynn is saying Nina Simone. Is that who you were thinking of? No, Nina no, no. Simone? No, I'll tell you. I'm going to look it up as you're talking. All right, look, look it up. I'll, I'll keep no dead air, no dead air. So I'm going to keep talking while while yeah. owner looks it up. So, um, shit, what the fuck was I just talking about? Um, so you're uh, talking about uh, 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 crap. What I just hit a pothole. Um, talking about guys, help me. What was I just thinking about? We were talking. Oh, VH1. Yeah. Um, two of us. Uh, so Paul McCartney would come around and see John Lennon in the last five years of his life when he was sort of like a recluse doing the family thing at the Dakota. And they would, they would break out the acoustic guitars and just get stoned and just sort of like, just, you know, hang out together. And Lauren Michaels, and this is real. This is absolutely true. Lauren Michaels was on S. This is the early years of SNL. It might, might've been 77, 78, something like that. Lauren Michaels uh, as a goof, goes on um, uh, SNL and says, we will pay John Lennon and Paul McCartney $3,000 if they will come down and reunite on SNL. Little did he know that both Paul McCartney and John Lennon were actually watching SNL and were considering actually, like they were doing it as a joke, but that they were going to go down to SNL and go go on air together. And they didn't end up doing it. They got too stoned and it just didn't happen. And Michael Lindsay Hogg made a fictionalized movie, again, talking about that idea, two people in an apartment. And the interesting thing, it's like, how do you keep that going for 80 minutes? It's fucking John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Yeah, of course. Post Beatles having conversations about their fucking life and their lives. And, you know, should we do this? Should we not do this? And ultimately they don't do it in the movie, but it's called Two of Us. And uh, I haven't seen it since it came out. It came out in 2000. So it's been 22 years since I've seen it. Um, But again, just one of those interesting ideas where you're taking real people and putting them in this uh, sort of like, uh, it's like you're taking the real situation and you're pulling on it like taffy. And you're just pulling out the taffy a little bit. And like, you know, it's partially based on truth and it's just partially taffy. 
Um, one night, this the movie was One Night in Miami. Yeah. Directed by Regina King. I said yeah. Regina Hall, who's also okay. a brilliant black actress who's, who's uh-huh. great. And Regina, I think Regina King, this might have been the first movie she's ever directed and she fucking knocked it out of the park. And it's mm-hmm. got it, characters are Malcolm X, um, Sam Cooke, Cassius okay. Clay before he was Muhammad right. Ali, before and, Ali. And Jim Brown. And it's like, the, you know, these four you know, legends and icons, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, cultural icons, athletic icons at a time that it was very rife with, you know, ra- political, racial, you know, sure. incendiary sure. strife. Mm-hmm. And it's a great movie, but I remember, yeah, watching it and just captivated. And they got the dialogue right and the direction right. And again, it's mainly in one location. So, you know, Regina, she, who wrote this, again, you, you have people who write, Kent Powers is the person who wrote the screenplay and Kent Powers, whatever, must be a real fucking writer because right. you can't get that shit right if the person's not a, a real fucking writer. Again, so many, I'm complaining so much about writers. People think they're writers when they're not, you know? I gotta tell you, you read screenplays. I, 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 or, or, or what it is, maybe, maybe a writer-director has a good screenplay, but it's just not refined enough there because they're going to be the one that's going to be ushering it into the production, everything that there's not enough, there's not enough soup, uh, not enough cooks oh, in the yeah, kitchen, probably, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah oh, of course. So I, I, who am I, I, I always tell people when they try to get me to read scripts and I'm not an intuitive reader and I'm not. And also reading a script is a subjective thing. Like you never know what the, what their vision of it's going to be. It's, it's, yeah, it's all kind of like very sure. nebulous. I read scripts all the time that I'm like, this could be a horrible movie. And, and I, and I end up watching the movie and it's really, really great. You know what I mean? So, you know um, what the ultimate, the ultimate ver the ultimate one location movie, in my opinion, ultimate and i know it's not exactly one location because it kind of it's a very contained movie and it's the ultimate i feel like they cracked the code with this movie and it's like the perfect situation and you can plug in it's almost like shakespeare like you know how you could take shakespeare and you could put it in any time and place or you can plug it in over and over again and that movie is night of the living dead it's Mm. like the perfect like sort of um, situation where you can put a bunch of characters in a uh, forget about it whether it's zombies. Let's say you don't like zombies. It could be anything. It could be a it could be a, a, a some sort of contagion. It could be civil unrest. It could be anything anywhere. And you put them in a house together with opposing co- conflicts. Because the thing that makes yeah, Night sure. of Living Dead interesting it's not it's not the zombies. It's the it's the it's the tension between yeah, um uh between Ben and uh harry cooper and it's made even further talk about you know they say good directing is is in the casting uh and this was unintentional by george Romero at the time but the idea of casting a black man yeah. at that time and then what does that do the entire script because the script is written the the race is not supposed to be known like ben yeah, could right. be played by anybody but the moment you put a black man in that situation in sure. 1968 at Dumb the height point. of racial tension the whole story the movie everything suddenly takes on so many different multi-layered dimensions all of the conflict and it's you got a pure situation where you don't have good and evil it's protagonist and antagonist two completely different things it's not good guys versus bad guys an antagonist is not necessarily the bad guy the antagonist is just opposed to the protagonist and has their own needs and wants they might be you know morally compromised in a way that a protagonist is not but it's just like that ultimate pressure cooker situation and i'm constantly trying to deconstruct it in a way where it can be done in a different kind of way and it's just really hard it's it's perfect well, no you're nailing it and i think that's what's so beautiful about horror too is the subversive nature of horror and De Niro, yeah. in, in ramiro 
you know, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and, and what mm-hmm. was the City of the Dead? What was the one that had the sky? Land, of the, Land, Land of, the of the Dead. Land of the Dead. With, uh, I mean, all those Dennis things, Hopper. <laughs> yeah, all those things kind of skewered something. You know, the Land of the Dead skewered the idea of, of class, the upper class, middle class, lower class, lower mm-hmm. class, being on the dredges of society with the zombies. Dawn right. of the Dead, I feel like skewered consumerism a consumerism. lot of ways. Yep. Uh, Day of the Dead, I, I don't, I can't remember. That was that, uh, Day the, of the, the Dead is... Maybe? De- so Day of the Dead, really, and it comes down to that scene in the in, when they're having lunch. And Day of the Dead, it comes down to it's it's government, it, it's it's like government versus scientists, basically. The military represents the government, and then the scientists represent I don't know, like uh, reason or something. I don't know. And there's that scene where um where where Captain Rhodes wants uh uh, uh Sarah to take her seat. And she doesn't. And because he's not respecting her authority, he pulls the gun on her and or no, he pulls the gun on his on his subordinate. And he says, you shoot her if she doesn't sit down. And he goes, bang, you're dead, like joking. And then he pulls his gun. He says, no, shoot her if she doesn't sit down. And it's like this. You know, it's funny. This movie that's full of the best gore in the fucking world. I mean, just the best Savini firing on all cylinders and the best scene doesn't have a single zombie in it. It's the tension. There's not a single bullet is fired. There's no um, there's no gore. There's no action. It's just two pe- it's just two groups of people talking with opposing um, views and uh, 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 just creating a, a pressure cooker situation. Just so good. sounds like you're a huge uh, Romero fan, are you? Huge Romero fan. Have you read Have you read the the book The Living Dead the the, the novel yes. that came. My yes. friend Daniel Krauss wrote that. We're not, okay, we're not well, you're talking close, about close friends, but you know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're talking about the anthology or the the one that that was posthumously finished. Posthumously finished. Daniel I have not read able... that one yet. I have oh, not man, read that one yet. Read I read the, the anthology. Fantastic. It's epic I will. and it's fucking. I will. I will. And, you know, Daniel I want spent, to. Daniel spent three years I in know. this kind of mystery, researching all of his notes yep. and unfinished novels and yep. watching old movies that he made. Yep. And, and to, to come up with this book that was, that honored, you know, the, it's been the, the very legacy well honored, well, Yeah. Yeah. And, and you really should read it. I mean, it's, it's I, very I complex. I, it's, it's really, it's really my, ambitious. my agenda. It has. Yeah. And political. I mean, it's, it deals with the military race, race. It deals with, it's, it's also, She's got so much humanity in it. Like it, it's a beautiful book. If you're if you're a Romero fan, and oh, Krauss is an extraordinary huge. writer and extraordinarily prolific. And uh, you know, he's terrific. I'm really I'm happy for. He used to make movies in Wilmington, North Carolina, when oh, I was really? there. Yeah, he lived. He I think he, he went to the Iowa workshop uh, for writing. He's an extraordinary writer. Made he made a documentary when he was in college at Iowa called Jeff Town. A documentary okay. shot on 16 millimeter movie about a, a, a man with Down syndrome named Jeff Town, who was just, you could say it's exploitation and maybe it is, but this Jeff Town is just an extraordinary character study. That's what I'm, makes the best documentaries, I'm, I'm, right? I'm already sold. I'm looking it up right now. Jeff You need Town. to watch J-E-F-F and the last name is Town with an E at the end. And um oh, and, and Daniel made this movie when he was in college and ended up getting into slam dance and it had a very good festival run and nineteen ninety eight. Tra- yeah, Troma eventually ended up uh re uh, transferring all the film to a high 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 definition transfer. And so the movie exists and it's fucking great. And, and Krauss he made documentaries for a while. He had a documentary series called The Work Series. He made three or four um movies and then he decided to go back to writing novels and he's had an extraordinary career. He was he was one of the um he, he he conceived the idea of um oh shit what the uh the 
what's the shape of water? He can see oh. the idea with Guillermo del Toro sitting. Wait, 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 wait. D- uh, Daniel did that? Daniel and Guillermo Fucking- del Toro. This is the story goes. They were having yeah. lunch one day, uh, talking about, they were writing a book together. They were, I think they've written one or two books together. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely and and they were it. talking about their love of, of, of movies and ideas that they had when they were younger. And they both had an affinity and a love, I believe, for uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And then Daniel was telling him a story, that, uh, the idea he had that was very similar to what would become Shape of Water. The story goes, what Daniel told me, I hope this is uh, common knowledge. Daniel said that Guillermo del Toro said, oh, my God, I love that idea. I wish I could do a Spanish, Mexican accent, Spanish accent. I would try yeah, because yeah, yeah. Guillermo del Toro's fucking voice is so it's, vibrant. It's a beautiful, amazing. endearing accent that he has. I love it. Oh, my God. And just yeah. so full of life and so fucking funny and talk about yeah. minutia and culture. And he, you yeah. know, did you listen to the Mark Marin podcast with him a few weeks ago? I, I downloaded it. It is in my phone. I have not listened to it's it yet. It's so great. Just because he's still like a kid at heart. You know what I mean? He, Everything he's like he talks a, about. He's like, I just watched the Boris Karloff documentary on Shudder. Uh, and he's in that and he just keeps saying they literally use the same sound bite twice where he's just like Frankenstein is my religion and oh. it's just <laughs> we, 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 so we keep going back and forth but I gotta tell you one of my favorite fucking movies of all time based on a play uh, based on a novel I believe but it's really just two people talking is uh, Gods and Monsters I don't know if you've seen yes, this movie. yes with Brandon Fraser and I've, Ian McKellen I've, I've seen that movie probably 20 times listened to it probably 10 or 15 times that is an exquisite beautiful 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 it, it sure is it sure is movie. yes yeah. yes and i'll tell you something else that dude you look at the invisible man you look at old dark by the way hot invisible take. fucking man is yes. a fucking masterpiece Su- watch it for the first time i just watched it six months ago it blew my fucking i've never seen it before you want to know something i too i too watched it for the first time i bought a box set on amazon you i think it's still it's very cheap for $24, you can get the original films. They're scanned at 4K. I mean, these things look gorgeous, like just Boner Jams 2003. The so the atmosphere, the atmosphere, yes. Dracula, but, Wolfman. But not just the atmosphere, the Invisible Man. That's why, I mean. Actually I had a story, like a real real substance to the story, Invisible Man. A lot of substance in there. Oh, my God. But yeah. also, yeah, it's a mad, egomaniacal fucking lunatic. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's governing what he's doing. Like, yeah. I the thing about Blumhouse's Invisible Man that came out a few years ago. Did you like it? Just, Did you like I it? Wish it? Well, I don't like it as the Invisible Man because yeah. I'm like, fuck that. Like, call it something else. Just because okay. it's just not, it has no ties to the It's not connected to the original at all. I mean, I guess. I, well, I, I they're trying to—they're trying to like sort of like update. They're trying to do. I'm all for uh, a, that. I'm all for making take, it a meet. You know, I'm, I'm all for making it modern and making it a woman being terrorized and victimized or whatever by this madman lunatic. But there was something about—I thought the guy who played the Invisible Man, and I thought the fact that he had no personality, um, is. Thank you, Riot. Thank you, RiotStickers.com, everybody. Appreciate it. Sorry okay. I to cut you off, owner. Go ahead. And that's okay. I don't want to. I don't want to shit on the Invisible Man. It was fine. It's just like when a movie gets critically praised so much, and it happens all the time now. I feel like these movies are not as great as all the critical accolades. It's my. Big I will problem. tell you this. I will tell you this. I loved. I absolutely. Because here's the thing. I there's nothing better than um, when you take something that is old or tried and true, like Frankenstein. People are like, oh, I'm so tired of Frankenstein. You could do... You could do fucking Frankenstein over and over and over again. Like just, we were talking about depraved and the idea, and you know, people don't realize from the, from when you look at it from the angle of depraved, it becomes a body horror film. The notion of being stitched together of dead people in the case of the invisible woman and 
I'm sorry, in the visible man and the idea of um, gaslighting that they're trying to do something yeah. with gaslighting, which is very, you know, a very yeah. uh, gaslighting and, you know, the, the whole, you know, toxic and, you know, misogyny yeah, yeah, sure, and yada, 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 the whole, that whole trip. Um, they're, they're infusing this current issue and using universals, the invisible man to do it. And I'm going, Oh, Ooh, even if it's not perfect, even if it doesn't tick every single box, give me every single universal horror film. Like, like it captured my imagination. I'm like, okay, now do it. And that's like, yeah, this, they, he's using a suit, which is kind of goofy, but like the, um, my biggest issue with it is that it falls apart once again. And this is what happens with movies. And listen, I have only made one feature length, one feature length narrative film. And I didn't even get to shoot 35% of the script and it, the, the, the movie came out that it. So I'm not one to talk. I just want to put the point that out that well, I know it's okay, a, but here's the thing. I, I want a little bit of wit with my fucking horror. I want to sense a fucking humor. It also, you know, it I, falls apart. It, so, it falls apart at the end. It does. I, the the no, ending falls apart. I mean, yeah, I mean, sure it does. I felt like the whole thing though, I'm just watching it. I'm thinking, really, this is what everybody's going on around. But, I, but that's, that's, that's what it is for me. Every movie I see now, where yeah. 96%, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, I'm expecting the movie to be great. And if it's good, I'm like, okay, it's not that fucking good. Cause it's, it's, it's supposed to be fucking great. I got to say this. Um, yeah, remake, remake, take new themes, make them current. That's so great. But just, I don't want to be bored and give me some fucking wit. Give me right. It has humor. to give us, give us a reason. You know, it's like a cover song. If you're going to cover a song, make it your own. Do something James, great with it. James Well, Frank Well or James Well? Who was the director? James of Well. James, James, James Well had a fucking sense of humor. He was a fucking visionary. He's like, he, you know, I, I love the stuff in, you know, um, the movie may yes oh. i do i do consider uh josh i do consider it to be a frankenstein film have you seen may i think that's the what's the girl's name who plays may uh, i don't remember her name but that's lucky mckee and lucky it's, McKee, I, I do i do yes i what remember were you saying though go back to what you were saying before um uh, but what is she I, I saw the movie i can't quite remember what does she do in the movie what how, what what's she's the, the star here? it's she's like an outsider who basically um like doesn't get along with the world the comedy it's there's there is humor talking about what you just said give me like some humor levity there's very dry humor in it and basically she i don't want to spoil it you've seen it right i've seen it i've seen it i remember again it's the dickhead thing where angela angela bettis is her name she ended up playing uh carrie right and i thought she was fantastic she was in carrie interesting but i remember roger ebert gave it a four-star review i remember when may came out and he was comparing it she makes and a he was comparing it to like Halloween, yeah. like the brilliance of Halloween. And I remember reading Roger Ebert's review, who I respect, and thinking, "Is it, it really? It's that fucking good?" I remember watching I, it again, being an out and asshole. Watch it again, dude. Watch it again. And it really it, it works. Really, it, it it first of all, it definitely holds up. Yeah, it really works. Later. And I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. Just for that, I don't even want to say what the last frame is because you you probably don't remember what it is. And it is it really just ties. Talk about like how your last frame. We were just talking about how movies fall apart in the last five percent or whatever. Like this is a movie that like basically makes you know when like that ending or that frame or something the movie goes to a certain place and suddenly everything that came before it that you're uncertain about suddenly it's like the finest like most delicious steak you ever chewed on because you're going oh. Oh, not like everything sort of like lines up and May does that. That's why everybody loves May so much because it does that in the very last frame. Oh, and it's like a cool. slow just... build. You got to see it. Yes, I think it is absolutely a Frankenstein film. 
150%. But what were you talking about right well, before that? Well, just finishing that? up, finishing Daniel Krause, uh, Glamour del Toro, yes. Shape of Water, and then Daniel making books, and then uh, books writing books now. I just uh, I have a question you, for you. I have a question if for you. If you're living, if you're if you're a Romero fan and you like uh, prose and you like horror fiction, you should you should check out. The Living Dead by Daniel Krause. You know? we're, we're gonna, any of his books, his books are fantastic. You know, we, we're we're slowly landing this airplane. We're 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 engaging our final descent. I want to thank uh, owner so much for giving us so much of his time and just like this is like the, I love conversations like this. I love film talking conversations where you have a good conversationalist that can really just knows how to ping pong conversation back and forth, a nice tennis racket. It's wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. We're getting some people watching, which is nice. Um, I want to ask you, have you seen the new Nightmare Alley? And if you did, what did you think of it? And have you seen the original and blah, 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 blah. I haven't seen it yet. No, no, no. I really, really want to see it. And the original had Terrence Powers, right? I mean, yeah, I, Tyrone I, Powers. Yes. Tyrone Powers is on Criterion yeah. Collection. I got a, a, my friend, uh, Ariel Cavusi, who I'm, I'm raising money, currently raising money for a movie that she's uh, directing called The Next Big One. She wanted me to mention it. And I always want to talk. It's one of the things I'm doing that I'm very yeah, proud yeah. of right please, now. Please, please talk. Producing talk. A, I'm uh, producing a movie from Ariel Cavusi, but she has Criterion Collection and she, uh, we're always, when we watch movies and we hang, out like that has popped up several times and the, and the goal is to watch the original and to watch Guillermo del Toro who's fucking amazing and you're gonna love fun. it you yeah, are going to love you are I, I, I personally so I think Nightmare Alley is the second in a trilogy of masterpieces in that well here's the thing it's so weird because the shape of water is also is like uh it's sort of like uh uh in two different uh GDT uh trilogies because you pan's labyrinth and then the second one in like the fan fairy tale trilogy is the shape of water and i feel like he hasn't made that third one yet, third one yet yeah but at the same time shape of water goes hand in hand with nightmare alley oh interesting as well even though it's at, maybe because they're both period pieces but like you know um and, and shape of water has fantastical elements in it but like um nightmare alley First of all, I think I'm so glad it was nominated for a best picture. Like if it wins best, it's not. But if it does, like it's so deserving of it. And it's yeah. just it's just a testament to how brilliant he is of a filmmaker. He crafted and you were talking before about going into a dark movie theater. And here's the thing. I'll tell you, I was feeling fucking depressed as fuck last December. I was just having, you know, sometimes I get like chem chemically imbalanced and I just cannot think straight. And I went it was the first time since COVID or the second time since COVID. I slunk into a darkened movie theater by myself. It was empty. It was just me. And I, it was one of those reclinable seat sort of situations. And I had snacks and the lights darkened. And I was projected into the world of Nightmare Alley for two and a half hours. Beautiful. And I'll tell you, uh, it, it was, it was just what an experience. And I'll tell you, um, it, it's a masterpiece. And I think it's one of his best films he's ever made. And I hope it wins an Oscar truly. And I want to, I want to ask you this question because you were talking about the dark atmosphere of a movie theater. You know how sometimes there are some movies and people go, Oh, it just, it, it lost the, the film lost me. The, did you, did you ever see the bad batch by the girl who did uh, yeah. a girl who walks alone yeah, at night? Yeah. I, I, people I really fucking hated this movie. People yeah. hated this movie. I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. And you know, there's that section in the middle where she starts like there's like the, you know, hallucination scene and it just goes on and on and on. But I did not 
mind, and the reason why I did not mind is because when you see a film in its proper venue, if you can watch it in a big, darkened movie theater, you quiet, are being, quiet not, movie yeah. theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did yeah, not course. see it in those circumstances. I saw it outdoors where it was loud and it was no, not it's good be, audio. It was yeah. not a good situation. But yeah, that's the you know every movie plays better that way. That's the way every movie yep. should be viewed. When I see a movie yep. in the movie theater like that under those circumstances, you know it's funny. Yep. I like being in a movie theater by myself because I get I get anxiety because people pull out their cell phones and they ruin the experience for me. But when I am in a movie theater and it's completely packed full of people and they are quiet and they're respectful, they're respectful. That's to me the ideal way to watch me. I don't know what it is about sh the shared experience when people are respectful. I get I get so misanthropic and I get so angry when people are not respectful of the cathedral of the movie theater. You it go is a there. Cathedral. Total it is cathedral. A it's a church. We but but a but fucking church. Wait, 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 wait. But I want to. All right, I'm going to be the devil's advocate slightly. First of all, you need to go to Alamo Draft Houses where the culture. Oh, I know, there, I know. They, of yeah. course, they they they, they, they their, their culture is great. I love that. They're I have the, the season pass. That's where. That's where I, I just I try to see all my movies there. But here's my here's my thing. My my devil's advocate thing. Real quick, you just called it a cathedral, a church, or whatever. And I agree with you. I am with you 110. percent but sometimes in churches, depending on the type of church, and I, I'm a Jew, I don't know much about churches per se, but I do know that um, uh, there is all sorts of different, there's also all sorts of different flavors of church. And there are some church, like you go to the South and everybody, their version of churches, sure. you know, uh, clapping 100%. and shouting. And so there are that some movies where the atmosphere, where there, where you are meant to, and you see this at film festivals all the time, like when something yeah. plays really well at a fest and everybody is hooting and hollering and going sure. wild. So it depends. It depends That's on the situation. Still, it all depends yeah. on the situation without a doubt, yeah. of course. Yeah, I yeah, go yeah. In there, everybody's having a great time. And there is a, everyone is aware. And everyone, <laughs> there's an agreed upon, you know, there's an agreed upon festival-like setting for it. Mm -hmm. I'm all about it. I, I've never really been to a lot of participatory movies where people are yelling and laughing at the screen but i've definitely i mean i, I guess that's not true what's the james you've done frank rocky movie? horror have you done rocky horror picture show i haven't done rocky horror but i did the fucking room what was it what was the movie that franco made about the room oh what, what um, was in the room the disaster artist which the is based on the book i saw that in a fucking crowded theater and people were having a fucking yeah. blast have you seen the, the room have you done i haven't the room even seen great. the room no i haven't Dude, seen you the have room. to do okay two things one you absolutely have to do Rocky Horror at midnight. And New York City is the per I used to go to New York every Halloween. I go to uh Chelsea, uh Chelsea Cineplex right by uh right on Chelsea and what is it, Chelsea and 23rd or whatever. They yeah. always do Rocky Horror. Oh, um, they do. Yeah, oh, oh every oh, dude all the time you have to go you have to you have to experience rocky horror at midnight that's number one and number two the they the room has done the exact same thing as rocky horror where people shout things it is it is a cinematic experience unlike anything else where it's the exact opposite where you are not supposed to watch the movie quietly you're sure, supposed to sure, yell sure. things at the screen and you literally people are live writing in the movie theater imagine yeah. you're sitting there and people are creatively placing one-liners and various different things and shouting out various different things, some of which are pre-scripted because that's part of the tradition that's been passed down, yeah. but some of which, because some people are just on the fly, improvisational writers who are just who are just literally writing the movie. It's like watching a De Palma film where De Palma splits the screen in half and then you as the audience have to edit yourself yeah, you're doing the yeah, editing sure. by choosing where to go it's the same sort of thing it's like this 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 um this extra dimensional layer of the cinematic experience
Oh, that's that's beautiful. So, how many Thank hours a day would you say that you're you're watching? Do you watch you watch a movie today, or how many movies will you watch I, this week? Okay, so I'm on Letterbox, and I like started tracking this stuff. I try to watch movies. Like for me, it's a never ending. It's like I have two rules. Um, I, I, my, my goal, my, the precedent I set for myself is to try and watch something that I've never seen before. I, that doesn't mean I don't watch things over and over again. Of course I do, but the, I am on, there are only so many years I have on this earth and there's so I'm not going to get to see every film ever made. And so for me, my goal is to always watch something new that I have never seen before. And during the month of Halloween, cause I'm a horror guy. I do something. This is this is this is batshit insanity. I do 31 days of I do 31 movies in 31 days. That's what I started in 2015. Now I I still do the 31 days, but it's as many days. It's as many movies as I can physically watch from October 1st to October 31st, and I log them. And that last year I I went really crazy and I did a video review for each film and uploaded it to YouTube. And I was only able to do 31 movies. My best record, I did 62 films in 31 days uh, the year prior, which is my personal best. And I always, again, I, sometimes I'll go to like an old favorite or a comfort blanket, but like I always try to watch something that I have not seen before. And um, it's just, I'm, I'm voracious, dude. I'm like, so, and it's like, I just, I just, I love I love this stuff, man. I just, I live it. I breathe it. It's just my favorite thing in the world. So yes. And I, and when I had that season pass, because there's the thing, if you're paying $20 a month, at the Alamo draft house, which is what I, what I was doing. If you watch two movies, then the, the pay for it for that month pays for it that month. Absolutely. And so I live, I live seven minutes away from an Alamo draft house. So I was going to the movies sometimes four or five times a month. And I was watching and the best part was we had a great film programmer. So we're seeing like stuff like necromantic is playing or yeah. I saw a fucking eraser head in 35 at midnight. Um, just like whatever, whatever we saw female, they played female trouble. They did. They were doing double features. They had the blob 58 with the blob 88. Fuck yeah. They had oh, the fly. Man. They had the fly 56 with the fly 86. Um, wow. Like on, on Halloween night, we had the 4k Janice um, criterion remake master of night of living dead with dead alive peter jackson's dead alive on 35 and they had big bowls of trick-or-treat candy and you could just take as much as you want you put it in your bag and you just go into the theater and just <laughs> it's the oh, best man dude. see see you're, you're 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 connecting to that childlike wonder of like when you loved it as a child which is still great yeah, i feel like yeah. i've lost that a little bit i want to get that back did you ever go to the somerville theater in boston have you ever been there they do this no. like 24 i think it's called the somerville theater it, they do like this 24 hour they used to do a 24 hour movie marathon where people like, go like in chicago there. the massacre they, at do the they music do that box, in chicago at, i at never the heard of that box, the music box theater does um, the massacre, which my friend uh, put on for years and years and years, and it's 24 hours of horror movies. You go in there, and I did it. And he's like, "Hey, what do you want to play?" He's like, "What do you want to play? You got anything that you know? Get my hands on?" I was like, "Can you get F Phantom of the Paradise by Brian De Palma?" Oh he, yeah. He got Phantom of the, and this was like 2008, and I was like, it was just a very. I, I felt like it was very hard to get a print in 2008 of, of, yeah. of Phantom of the Paradise and he found one. And so that played at like one o'clock in the morning and I'm like uh, making out with this chick. Like we're like lying down in between the friggin' uh, the friggin' seats. Cause everybody brings pillows. And so you're just yeah. like, kind of like crashing out in the movie theater and fucking um, what's his face is on the, uh, the, the Phantom is 
on the the yeah. the, the screen going swan and it's just like it's the best dude <laughs> you need to get jay morong my friend jay morong who's the programmer of the charlotte film festival down in charlotte he's also a he's also a drama uh professor uh at yeah. one of the colleges down there you need to get him on the show because you guys could talk i would about... love to put me because in touch he, please here he's erudite like you like that's one thing you know you're a filmmaker and you know you're, yeah. you you want to make movies but you're also um erudite about 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 the the the, the creators and and, and about i love all of it like, i love all of it all i of think it. that's great film efficient i wish i was a film intellectual i wish i was a film like i love I movies think you i love watching oh movies. dude you definitely are man you have such film you have filmic language you've been able to trade back and forth with me this whole time uh, here very limited if we talked for another 30 minutes it would be dry the dry <laughs> the well would run dry jay morong is like like you you guys would be able to talk film history and also contemporary movies and Touch. I'm down. I'll, I'll connect you to him. He's just cool. really, really great, really, really intelligent. Just a, a really, really fun, sweet dude. You know, midnight movies die at the hands of video is what they're saying. Yeah, I miss. Yeah, people are. I miss. Uh, I the cell phone has taken me out of the the film viewing experience in theaters. I I, I used to go to the movie theater to relax, to feel comfort, to escape. Like we get brought right. in. I still can't. I still can't remember how it happened. Uh, accidental movies that are accidentally bad are amazing, right? I watched a movie just recently on Shutter. Fucking a Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Have you heard? Of oh, it's movie? in my it's it's in my queue. I love Shutter, by the way. It's like the Shutter's best. Shutter's fucking so amazing, good. right? So Isn't amazing. It great? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, but you know, the thing, going back, um, I fucking lost my. I didn't lose my train of thought. I'm just gonna move on real quickly. Going really quickly back to movies like The Invisible Man, and it's great they're being made and they're well made yeah, and they're yeah, contemporary. Yeah, yeah. But mm -hmm. the, my, I have a problem with film criticism, and I think maybe it's starting to correct itself now. Is this? Overadulation, or the fact that all these critics are only reviewing movies that they like, and they're not really reviewing movies that they hate, and they've taken this nice guy approach or nice person approach, where they're not shitting on movies like they used to because film is subjective. You should be able to shit on a movie. Now, if you did, if you had an adverse reaction to a film, a be vocal topic. about it. Let's have fun. Now, I think a movie like The Invisible Man or even fucking uh, Jordan Pills fucking movies, they shouldn't be at 96%, 98%. I don't think any fucking movie should be. I, th I like movies like David Gordon Green's Halloween Kills that took a lot of fucking chances <laughs> and that people, some people fucking hated and some people really fucking loved. And it's at 50%. That Rotten Tomatoes, which is a, where it should be. It should be divisive. Great art to me is supposed to be divisive. And True. this idea that everyone's just agreeing on something, and I guess Invisible Man, to me, it's a safe fucking movie. It didn't take any risks. And 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 something that's at ninety six percent should be it should be embraced for the chances that it took or being really novel and singular. And maybe I'm wrong about it. I could be wrong. I should watch it again. But I, Jay and I watched mm -hmm. the invisible man at the somerville theater in boston and we're walked out we're just like that's that's it that's the movie that we saw that's the movie that everybody's talking about it's so fucking brilliant i don't know at the end of the day i used to always i used to hate everything that i watched and i still kind of do um but here's the thing i've learned to with my criticism not um not critique a movie for what it didn't want it didn't do what i wanted it to do which i think is the wrong way to critique a film because it didn't right. do what i wanted to do I, i've learned right. to not I've learned not to fucking criticize a film for that reason. And I've learned to appreciate what it's trying to do a little bit more. And I, I've, I've learned to, I'm just not as critical anymore. I guess because we're living in a society, we're living in a time now where the, the kind of going, the idea is let's try to be nice to each other. And one of the things, one of the casualties of that is, I think, harsh criticism or, you know, the kind that Rex Reed used to do or maybe still does. Rex you know, where Reed. You know, completely rip something apart. You know what just, it is? 
I'll tell you what it is. It and 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 this has been for me, and I, maybe uh, I, I I totally know what you're saying. Everything it's like the 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 status quo currently is if you have nothing nice to say, then don't say anything at all. And you know, I have a lot of Rachmanis for lots of films and filmmakers, even the bad ones, because you know, again. Like I think about from the other side of trying to, because when you're making a movie, good or bad, it's like you're taking something that's in your head or in somebody else's head, and you're literally willing something into existence. That's what you're doing. You are willing imagination into a 2D sort of way that that people are going to take in. You're sharing ideas, and like it's it's this multimedia approach. It's all of these things combined. It's music. It's art. It's photography. Yeah. It's acting. It's theater. It's all of these different um, mediums combining. So it's like it, it like. I guess I, I, when I approach a film, like in general, like a, a perfect example, uh, here's my, my thought is if I can't talk about it um, critically, like I will never say a film sucks. I will just never yeah. do it. I just don't do it. If I don't like a film or I don't like pieces of a film, I will explain why that is. I'll say it yeah. didn't sit well with me and here's why, or it didn't, as we've been doing this whole time, this didn't land and here's why it didn't land. That's and blah, fair. Blah, blah. That's a very like, fair it's, way it's of, yeah. not, um, so it's like no film should be, uh, 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 what's it called? Um, uh, in, immune to criticism, but I know I'm getting botted. Just, do I have a mod? Uh, Riot, you're a mod in the chat. Can you get rid of the bot, please? Um, the, uh, no film should be above criticism, but at the same time, I feel like maybe there's some tact and, you know, again, part of it, it's kind of like bread and circuses, right? Like we want blood we want, or that's what it used to be about. It's like, it's like taking a film and stabbing it with a spear and ripping it open and seeing all the blood drenched out. But that has led to such, and again, I hate using, there's certain words. I hate using the word woke. I hate using the word toxic. These these overused yeah, ridiculous yeah, yeah. words. However, I'm going to use I, with that with that disclaimer that I just provided. I am going to use the word toxic because it just seems. Thank you, JD, for destroying. Oh, thank you, Riot, whoever did it. Um, I am going to use the word toxic because I feel like it it does uh, represent what I'm trying to say. The uh, it's mutated onto the internet in this super toxic way where anonymous people, at least with film critics, they put their name by the criticism. Even, you know, Igbert, like he was, he had his face, Siskel and what's his face. They were on the TV and they're like telling you, I didn't like this film. I thought it was, you know, and like they're there and they're saying it. And you have these, you have these spineless weasels that just tear things down for no good reason. And, you sure. know, again, Troll, trolling, just trolls at the end of trolling. The yeah. And, you know, I look at, you know, Kevin Smith, is one of my film fathers. I have a lot of film fathers. He's one of my film fathers. I love that man. And, you know, and he doesn't make some of his, I have plenty of criticism to give to his films for sure. Sure. But I have also been listening to his podcast since 2007, since the very beginning I've been with him. He's he, I've been with him this whole time and I have listened to so many things that he said. And one thing that I really have sort of embraced what he said, he talks about like, you know, it, it costs zero dollars to encourage an artist or encourage to be somewhat to, to encourage someone to be creative. Put your energy into that. If you don't like something, it's OK not to like something, but like don't tear down, build up. And even if yeah. something you don't like, build it up as you tear it down. I, I really like the beginning. It really sort of like I, I was grabbed or I really like this premise. I really liked find the thing I try. I try to, I'm going to bring it back to me with speaking in I statements. I try to find the thing 
that I did like or that I did tolerate. And then I use that as the anchor to then issue some sort of uh, criticism. And I like try to think of construct or I try to think of ways that maybe it, it might have uh, uh, could have played out that that, you know, the actually the exact thing that you were talking about, like where I wish it would have gone. Um, but I th but I never use the word if I see a video on YouTube and it says why Star Wars sucks, I won't yeah. even watch it. I just right, don't want right. to see it. I don't it care. Is a choice. I mean, it's a choice, a deliberate choice to say, look, let me embrace the things uh, constructively in a way that's uh, right. Yeah, this is not this not trolling. Basically, I feel like you could do that with any movie. You could give it a bad review and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a great review. You could you could be a vicious review and yep. rip every rip it apart, or you could be extremely sweet and treat it like it's a an eighth grader with a with a with a disability who's right. trying to put together a, <laughs> yes. their first yes. movie. I mean, you could approach everything that way. And it's just a choice about what you want to be. Do you want to be an asshole for the benefit of your reader because? I love I love the bad guy. I love assholes in movies. I love I love seeing hearing in movies people being mean, but in real life it's different. It's not the same. Being mean in real life just is like off well, here's the That's flip what side. I do like about the culture that we're in is that there is um the the, the the idea behind it is actually really beautiful and humane. Let's not let's not, you know, the idea of um words having an impact on someone's uh emotional well-being and if their emotions are hurt that can yeah that could cripple them in some way that is like physical harm i used to think how can you sit there and say words are the same as physical harm but emotions are tied to to your body's stress the but you could be i was about to say it's not the words what it is it's not the words it's the words going to your ear and then your brain processes them and then your brain releases certain chemicals and hormones or whatever yeah. that then affect you yeah. So it's not the words, but it's the way the words uh, have a polluting effect physically yeah. on one's being. So it does, you know, th there is some sort of um, there's definitely it's definitely there. But like, again, and like, a real connection that I never I, I used to think for years, I thought, oh, my God, they're trying to they're trying to keep they're trying to take away the idea of anger or, or hostility. That That's a real we have a real need for that. That's but but at the, same, at the end of the day, a lot of just a lot of just being mean is just is whatever. It's it's unnecessary. <clears throat> and it's coming from a. A barbaric fucking place It's coming from a fucking base, pathetic place, you know, and. and I don't know. And, and, and the connect. Anyway, anyway, I'm rambling now. Go ahead. I'm, no, I'm, no, 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 no. You you bring up you bring up a great point. And again, like everything, everything does have its place. And if you have, if you can find a way, if one, if one can find a way to sort of, um, uh, sort of say, uh, say what they want to say. Because here's the thing. Because at the end of the day, what ends up happening. Are you being you're being honest or you're being you're being dishonest for the sake of other people's feelings? Are you not being truthful about what your feelings and what you feel uh, in? Because, you know, again, isn't film criticism? Uh, I, I don't know. Would you is it an art form in and of itself? Is it like, you know, it's this literary thing. Does that make it an art form in the same way that, you know, if you're writing, if you're writing anything is, is writing in general is considered an art form. So if, if there's you, an if art you form. If you see it that way, and if you put that much effort into making it the best review ever, I think a film review absolutely can be an art form if you've chosen 
to make it an art form. You know, right. I wrote a. You ever heard of the Talk House? The it's this. Uh, I know website. Talk House. Oh yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. I, I wrote a piece about how the, the the critic, the art of the critic, has a role, probably even more important than the film's role, because the the critic legitimizes the value of a movie. You know what I mean? Right. So, it validates uh, and venerates, and what it does is. It, it it is the it is the um it's like the uh, well I don't know this is a terrible metaphor actually I was gonna say it's the canary in the coal mine but it's like it's um it's it's the thing that that signifies whether people should spend their precious time uh, to go and check it out you know yeah yeah people seem to have a lot of precious time on their hands these days I mean if you think well, about the idea again back to binge watching it's like where you know people have a lot of time to, to 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 which is great i think it's great people are getting enjoyment out of whatever they want to do that's fan, fan fucking fantastic but, but yeah that is, I, that's I, the paradox that is truly you brought that up earlier this is a paradox this idea of um and i do it i i personally do it i like it there, you know what it is it's this notion of like uh having like this this um it's it's not it's obviously it's a finite resource but there's just so much of it and you just get to sit and you know what it is you get to be a glutton. It's a we as hu is it not part of human nature to um be glut gluttonous sometimes or to uh, be voracious in your appetites, whatever they may be, whether it's like marathoning podcasts or if you maybe you like to eat food or maybe you drink too much or maybe you smoke too much or in some cases it's like I want to escape from the world and I want to just sit on my bed and watch ten episodes of of this of this show and just. Uh, uh, go through this experience that I'm not even going to remember because no one can cram 10 hours of story. And then like, remember, it's like you're, it, it gets put in, you know, to, it's, if it's like a computer, your short term memory cache, cache, yeah. catch, you know, like it gets, it goes in there, but then it gets deleted so quickly afterwards. And you only remember like the broad stroke. So it's like, you don't even remember what you watched. You just remember whether you liked it or hated it. Yeah, oh yeah. That right. was really good. Cause like, I, I, here's the thing. I loved Dexter season four with the Trinity killer It was one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen. Now, if you say, Hey, what happens? I'd be like, I don't know. I watched it in 2009. I only remember that. I liked it so much and that it's yeah. the best season of television. Now, if you ask me about like a film that I really like, I will tell you every fucking, you know, a film that I've seen like a hundred thousand times over sure, and over yeah. and over again. I'll tell you about lot, every yeah. fucking beat of that film and the meaning behind it and why. And it's just, it's just interesting how, and yes, there's time, the the time like the TRT total running time is different in that kind of way. Um, but so you've but, seen Day of the Dead several times. Then to talk about the specific thing you said about Day of the Dead, you've I've seen, seen I've seen Day of the Dead many many times. I've seen Dawn of the Dead a thousand times. Night of the yeah. Living Dead I have watched so many times. I first saw it 25, 26 years ago, twenty seven years ago. I have watched Day uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead so many times. The film that I've watched probably more times than the other film. And it's I, when people ask me, what is your favorite film of all time? Like, I don't have one who has a favorite film of all time. It's like really, really hard. Right. I love all films, but and it, cha- it kind of changes. Too, it changes. It, it changes. Yeah, yeah. It evolves. Like, but if, if like, you know, gun to my head or, you know, uh, I'm uh, on a quiz or a survey, like what is your favorite film? Oh, Hey Jeff, what is your favorite film for, for simplicity's sake? And it's true from the bottom of my heart. I believe this. I always say night of the living dead is my hands down favorite film of all time for all that we were talking about earlier for all those reasons and more for the fact that I can watch this movie that's 50 years old and it feels like it was made fucking yesterday with everything Mm -hmm. that's happening in the world. That's how good that fucking ending is so fucking like just gut, just guttural and guts you and kills you. Um, uh, I remember, I remember in the eighties, man, I remember watching MTV and it was like during, I think it was in October of 1988 or 87. 
I can't remember the year. Maybe it was 84. I must have, maybe I was fucking 11 or 12 years old. And that movie fucking came on Nine Living Dead on fucking MTV and they showed it and there was nudity and, and it just, it traumatized me slightly. It was just like, what, what the fuck is this? I just remember yeah. one of those film experiences. Yeah. Once upon a time, I, I liked Ghost Dad, not so much. <laughs> now it's funny. Uh, is it because of Cosby? Is it because of what we know about Cosby? Or is it because the movie hasn't aged well? What was the reason for I, that? You know? I always, I enjoyed Ghost Dad when I saw it, when it first yeah. came out. It was okay, whatever. Is it, it what, why, it, but it was critically panned, right? Everybody said it was It was totally terrible. panned, but I saw it as a, I saw it, I, I was born in 85, and is I saw it whenever it came out. That? Did Sidney Poitier no, direct no, Sydney no directed way. some kind of Cosby movie? Who directed uh, Ghost Dad? I'm going to find out for you right now. Keep Someone talking. Told Talk me about Sydney what you're Poitier talking about. A really bad, like, Cosby movie. And I was like, oh, or maybe I just misheard that incorrectly. Um, Halloween you, in, in, the, in the 70s, of course, traumatized. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies of all time, Halloween. Um, if you're in. Question Have you ever done this? This is a fun thing to do with films that you've seen a million times over. I had started, and someone turned me on to this. If you watch the sixth sequel of Friday the 13th, Jason Part 6, Jason, I think Jason lives, you desaturate your TV and watch it in black and white. It is a 1940s. You know, that director Universal. is very, influ- is very influenced by the, the James Well years. And, and the if Universal you watch, years. and if you fucking watch Jason Lives Part 6 in black and white, that wow. opening with I fucking, never thought about. Of course, dude, the cemetery, the ten minute brilliant fucking opening. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I'll you, tell you something. You get the sense. You get, you get all the- of the shadows, all of the shadows, everything, all that atmosphere we were talking about earlier. It's all there. It's the movie is pregnant with it, but it, it only reveals itself when you desaturate. Dude, I can't remember. I think it was. Uh, it was. Have you seen that six hour documentary on Shutter? Uh, Memories. I have Crystal not. Lake or whatever? I, I, I have not. I have not. It's um, fucking amazing. If you're a Friday the Thirteenth fan, it's you have. You know, fucking I'm not incredible. really. I, I am not. Here's the thing. I am not so much a slasher guy. I do have a, a respect for the original Halloween. However, right next to Jaws, because Jaws is my Jaws. Jurassic Park is also my Jaws for my generation. Um, Scream. Is my Halloween. Sydney okay. Prescott is my Laurie Strode. Yeah. Sure. Um, like, so I, I don't, I never really like, I, I have a, of course, I have an affinity for the 80s slashers, but I never, um, I, I don't like, they don't, they don't connect with me the way I'll tell you, you know what connects with what really fucking does it for me. And go back to saying to what the film that I've seen more times than any other film in the history of the world, I think, I'm pretty sure I have seen The Return of the Living Dead written and directed by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote Alien. Um, I've seen that so many fucking times. I have, there's, there have been times where I have put that movie on. And then as soon as it's over, I put it on again with the commentary. And then I switch over the commentary tracks and I watch the second commentary. We're actually reading on this channel. We're doing the return of the living dead, uh, novelization. We do two chapters. I do like an audiobook thing on here. So I'm doing two chapters because the book is very different from the, the novelization is different. And the irony is it's written by John Russo, who is the screenwriter of Night of the Living Dead. Wow, so the screenwriter of Night of the Living Dead wrote, wrote so here's, he wrote a sequel to uh, Night of the Living Dead called Return of the Living Dead, separate from Dawn of the Dead. Then that got bought up by this guy, Tom Fox, who then... Um, uh, hired Dan O'Bannon after Toby Hooper left. Dan O'Bannon does a page one rewrite, and that script is then rewritten as a novelization by John Russo, completing 
the circle. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> it sounds but like that, you're into horror. Your horror comedy is your jam. You, you, like it, you know, here's comedy. the thing, though. Here's the thing. And, you know, you were talking about, like, you as a director will appreciate this. And uh, I don't know if you've seen Reanimator, right? Reanimator yeah, falls into this. Yeah, okay. So Reanimator, Reanimator falls into this. Return of the Living Dead falls into this. These are movies um, where the comedy is so... It, it, it's so delicate and precious in the sense that um, the actors are playing it so straight. When yeah, you watch yeah. a Return of the Living Dead, James Karen, who's a fantastic character actor, and Clue Gallagher, and uh, all those guys, Tom Matthews, who's also in Jason Lives, he plays Tom yeah, Jarvis. Of course. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. They are all playing it. A, they're playing it super straight. B, Dan O'Bannon, who was a first time director, all of his shots, so many of those shots, they had two weeks of rehearsal on that film. And every single one of those shots with all the kids, there's no coverage. They're all master shots. They're all standing there in the same fucking, it's everything we were just talking about. And I I had the John Penny, who was the co-editor and also wrote the screenplay for Return of the Living Dead Part 3. I had him on the show and I was asking him, I'm like, because he was the assistant editor. I'm like, so tell me, like, what the fuck was it like looking at those rushes? Because when you watch the film, and the opening shot is like, a, it's a wonder. It's like a straight wonder. I never noticed. I was like, wait a minute, the camera's not cutting. They're doing like tracking dolly motion, like motion shots through the the various uh, p- parts of the medical supply warehouse. And he's going, yeah, we were shitting our pants because he was not shooting any coverage. We didn't know if the film was going to cut together, wow. but it does. And what makes the film work so well is a the characters are playing it so straight, and that informs the comedy. That pulls the comedy. The situation is so ridiculous. And the and the tone is so serious that you can't help but laugh. As Mick Garris once said, the comedy is so red that it's black. And um, it, it just uh, they 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 uh, the actors are all playing off each other in these big, beautiful master shots. There's just no like there's close ups and stuff, but the coverage is minimal. And they're like going, is this going to cut together? What is he yeah, doing? Yeah, and he yeah. talk about a guy who was really pushy and really like an asshole. He only directed one other film, The Resurrection in 1990 with Chris Sarandon. Um, he, this was a guy who was just like, who was a total pushy asshole who didn't quite know what he was doing on his first film. And yet at the same time, delivered a masterpiece and a script. You're talking about how like the script needs to be so good. What makes Return of the Living Dead so good, it's not the way that it's shot per se. It's not necessarily that it looks so good. It is the fact that every single scene, and I sat there, I sat there in awe watching this film as a writer, as an amateur writer, someone who's trying to write his own shit. And I sit there and I go, I watch how each scene informs the next scene. It's building towards something. Every there's cause and effect in every single scene. It's not just because you could be a filmmaker, and I did this in my first film where you just do, oh, it's art. Yeah, just put something out there, mm-hmm. static shot of that. Like you could just do that, or. Literally, every scene is informing the next scene, which is informing the next scene, which is informing the next scene. And he's building towards this thing. And you're just going, where the fuck is this movie going to go? Because it's just getting too big, even for its own weight. And what does he do? He blows it all up. He kills everybody with a fucking atom bomb. And it works. So, because you're thinking, where is the movie going to go? How does he tie it up? He goes, Dan O'Bannon, I'm just pretending that he said this. He didn't actually say this. I don't know where it goes. I'm just going to drop a bomb on everything. The yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. And it, and you're not, you're, you're just like, yeah. You're like, yeah. you're like, you go, yeah, that's fucking great. And what works is that you almost have like these Laurel and Hardy um, sort of like slapsticky um, uh, scenes, but they're done super serious, like super serious. And that's the same thing with Reanimator. It's the same thing with, 
you like like Stuart Gordon is like head giving head, yeah. head giving head, and it's like it's like when you step back and think like oh my god this this girl's dead father is holding the severed head, the reanimated severed head of his associate and sticking it in the crotch of his daughter, his naked daughter strapped down to a gurney. And you think for a second and go, wait a minute, they're saying it's head giving head. Yeah. It's suddenly, it takes a super duper serious thing and makes it fucking hilarious. Yeah. And just so perverted and just delightfully perverted. <laughs> It is great, man. We had Brian Yuzna on the show too. That hasn't premiered that. That was a three. We talked for fucking three hours. Speaking of which we have literally been talking for two yeah, and a half hours. I, I probably should wrap it up there. <laughs> you know, the Jeff has been a lot of fun, man. This has been a Holy lot of fun. shit. I got to tell you, uh, you, you really, you really can spend it. You, you know, you could talk, you could talk, uh, you could talk a yarn. This was no this man. Was really you, great. man, you can, I, I feel like I'm half sluggish, mentally sluggish tonight. You're, but you're fucking killing it. So oh my God. One, one last movie, you. one last movie. Tell me you have seen, this is getting brought up in the comments. This is why I love having the comments here when you do it live. Cause people bring stuff into the conversation. Bet you'd like Della Morte, Della Moore. Hell fucking. Yeah. I love Della Morte, Della Moore. Yeah. The cemetery man with Rupert Everett. Um, the only I think it's the first or the second directorial credit for uh, Michael Slovi, Solvi, who's a disciple of Dario Argento. Um, phenomenal. Mid nineties, mid nineties, mid nineties. Yeah. Talking about the humor, uh, humor, romance, love, death, all of these things. Mm-hmm. It's an art house film, an Italian art house film that's also like b- by way of Dead Alive. Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. Yeah, fucking, yeah. fucking genius. Um, yeah. listen. Uh, one, you know, I have all of I have all of owners links in the comments. Please, check, you know, follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. Uh, check out. He has a website. We didn't even talk about his art. This dude is an artist, man. I mean, his art is really trippy and out there and awesome. Go check it out. What is the way it's Simeon? I'm going to butcher it. What is it? SimeonNation.com. SimeonNation. Yeah. SimeonNation. Yeah. It's SimeonNation.com. And. Um, you know, in addition, and you, I didn't, I didn't even know that you made music. You're also a, a musician as well. Yeah. That's kind of the one thing I don't like share. You know what I mean? I've got okay. children's books out there and, and art out there and, and a lot of movies. The plan is to like, I'm, I've been writing music the last year. I've written like, that's very nice. Uh, when I was, uh, I, I, I've been writing music and recording music a lot in the last year so i think i am going to do an album at some point but not cool. for any delude not delusions of grandeur just for, just for yourself for the artifact you know what i mean i believe because in you're artifact. an artist yeah, because you're yeah. an artist and you have to you have to get it out so that's awesome and you're putting you're putting that you're a renaissance man who does like all this fucking crazy shit and again a super congratulations to just a dude who is like just like out there, like doing shit, follow him, check him out, watch his films where they are available. Um, you can, you, you know, I'm sure a lot of them are streaming on VOD. Uh, go check out justwatch.com, which is a legal, legal way to check where, what streaming services owner Turkle's films are legally streaming. Uh, so check out, check out his, check out his work, go see cat fight, especially that's the, that's my recommendation. Summer of blood is great, uh, but go see cat fight. Um, yeah, that's on Netflix. Just, that was is that Netflix. is that on Netflix yeah, right now? Yeah. yeah. So you can you can watch that on Netflix. Um, Catfight really just like d- just goes all like it just it just goes places, man. Um, it just thanks, just Jeff. A I appreciate really it, great man. thing. Thanks. Um, thanks, okay, We're, we have a wonderful way of closing. And owner, can you st- stick around for 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 three minutes after? It's just yeah. I have a thing, an end thing that plays. Guys, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. We had we had a great audience tonight. Uh, as we always say on the channel. 
peace and hair grease. Do you guys know about the Patreon? If not, please sign up for the Patreon. Owner, stick around. Peace, hair grease, Patreon. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. (laughs) The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.